1: The nominees are the 49ers-Cowboys, the Jags-Chiefs, the Giants-Eagles, Bengals-Bills, Indiana-Michigan State, Purdue-Maryland, or the Colts-Coaching Search. The award for best sports drama for the weekend goes to... No seven-game losing streak for the Pacers in there? (laughs) I decided to... forego that that one. one? It was kind of a
2: weak divisional slate if I... I'm going to be totally yeah, honest. It's hard to argue that. Um I'll give a ton of credit to what Mike Woodson and in Indiana has done here over the last week and a half, their response. So I know from a drama standpoint, I don't know if that necessarily defines it in terms of 40 minutes, but Jake, they when's the last time I used to beat 3 tournament teams all by double digits in the Big Ten, three in a row? And that
1: Yeah, that, they've responded nicely. That's what they've done. And you got to give credit to Trace Jackson Davis. I think getting I think what we now know the formula for Indiana Trace Jackson Davis is playing at a very high level. He needs one other player to compliment him. And they've kind of had rotation, right? I mean, at times it's been Jalen hood Shafino, At times it was Jordan Geronimo, you know, Tamar Bates. You get somebody else to compliment him and free him up a little bit, they're pretty tough.
2: And honestly, to be fair to him, Jake, he's not playing at a really high level. He's playing at... Yeah, at astronomical First level. team, unanimous All-American type level. 31-15 and 15 for him. On, Saturday, or on Sunday, and as you mentioned, tomorrow, Bates, Trey Galloway helping out in Indiana gets another important and convincing win over Michigan State. Good Monday morning to you. Kevin Bowen, Jake Query, and Mark Dykton here. Uh, we are down to four teams. Uh, we cannot say we are down to four head coaching candidates for the Colts, although um, if you look at this past weekend, I would say all of the head coaching candidates that were still alive in the playoffs, they all had... Pretty good performances here, uh, and if you look at these final four teams, uh, the Colts have a candidate on each of those four. You know, maybe Buffalo would have been the one that you could have pointed to last week and said, "Oh yeah, they're they're one of the four best teams left." I feel like we've got the four best teams left. We've got the four hottest teams left. I think we have the four best on both sides of the ball. And again, I didn't think the entertainment value was too great from really any of the four games, but I do think we're going to look here on Sunday and say these are the four best teams uh, throughout the NFL season.
1: Yeah, the game yesterday, and by the way, um, congratulations and certainly recognition of the fact that Purdue is going to return if the, I'm not sure if the polls came out late last night or if that's this morning, but Purdue is going to be the number one team in the country again, which is pretty cool. I watched a little of the end of the Houston Temple game uh, yesterday, which seemingly sealed that because Kansas got blown out of their own building as the number two team on Saturday by TCU. So Purdue uh, should be the number one team in the land this week. The, the game between Cincinnati and Buffalo, which is the one that I think we all most anticipated, as soon as it was 14 nothing, just based on the weather conditions as much as anything else, I mean, it, it's 14 nothing, and you thought, okay, I mean, this is a game that, that kind of lends itself towards what Cincinnati did really well, which was, sure, go through the air, but I mean, Cincinnati's ability to keep the ball on the ground and just keep the chains moving that way... Once they got out to that lead, you know, Buffalo just couldn't get anything going offensively. You kind of knew it was, it just felt like it was over early. You know, I was
2: thinking back to that Buffalo Colts game last year in pretty bad weather and how the Colts just dominated that game. I mean, I'm sure you can point to a few games in the Josh Allen era where in poor weather they've played well, but it doesn't seem like they're super equipped to be this outdoor Western New York team. Right. And now granted, I don't know if I would have said that about Cincinnati before the game started yet they were able with a patched up offensive line to run the ball extremely well with Joe Mixon and then i just i i felt like burrow he just exudes frankly he, he he's cocky i mean i guess if you want to you know be a little more politically correct he exudes confidence but one comment i thought tony romo made during the game that i actually agreed with which i find myself not agreeing with much of what romo's saying lately but he mentioned the shine is like. is quickly
3: coming off of him as a broadcaster.
2: Yeah, I just I'm not I'm not, I'm not too into it. Uh, he made some comments to the effect of like this is Pate Manning in full control right now from Burrow, and the more you watch that game, the more I felt that of just like yeah. you know it wasn't these like thirty forty yard bombs over the top, but it was just a methodical in rhythm, full control. I know where I'm going with the football. I know I've got three offensive linemen out. So I can't sit back here and dance. And in that weather, why would you want to do that? Uh, But Cincinnati just absolutely dominated that game. And you know, lost in the shuffle, I think, of everything that we've had this football season. It's like, oh wait, Cincinnati's won 10 in a row? I mean, here they are. um, Again, probably the hottest team in the AFC. And now we'll get a rematch in the championship game. And of course, AFC-wise, all week long, it'll be the injury watch to... Patrick Mahomes as they beat Jacksonville 27-20. I guess, would that qualify as the best game of the weekend? Or would you go Dallas-San Francisco?
1: I thought Dallas-San Francisco was pretty good. Um, All four unders hit, by the way. I thought, and I know I'm not alone in thinking this. This is hardly an original thought. But as Dallas got the ball back with like 45 seconds to go, I thought, my God, can you imagine if they score on a Hail Mary and missed the extra point to lose the game. <laughs> like, I can't be the only one. Well, they would have gone for two, right? You think so? I mean, he was kicking well at that point. He hit a couple field goals. <laughs> kicking well. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> but it, it appeared as though he had kind of, you know, righted the ship a little bit. Well, that first
3: extra point, if it didn't get blocked, oh, it was shanking far left. That thing was in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah.
1: It was something, wasn't it? I, mean, I, thought,
2: like, I thought in that game... I, I've watched Dallas a decent amount this year, and I guess we all have because they're always on national television. Like, Tony Pollard is so important to them. Yeah, I thought when Pollard got hurt, I think Dak threw a pick. Either was the next play or maybe two plays after that. Ezekiel Elliott had a couple drops to start the third quarter. That Pollard loss, in a way, it would be like San Francisco losing a Christian McCaffrey type. I know you probably shouldn't compare those two exactly, but I thought that was um, that type of a loss. We have three of the four. From last season back there, Philadelphia being the only different team we'll see on Championship Weekend. It almost seemed like the Eagles on Saturday night were kind of like, did you guys forget we were 13-1 with Jalen Hurts as
1: a starter? Yeah. Well, it's, it felt like the, the Giants forgot they were there, right? I mean, that that game. There's just something about NFC East games in general where I'm just like, oh. They're just. I'll tell you, San Francisco's good, man. I mean, you were asking the other day, would you take the NFC East to win the Super Bowl you know you had three shots at it obviously and you know you knew that two of them were going to cannibalize the other but I really thought Dallas would go to the Super Bowl but in Philadelphia may well go but San Francisco I mean considering that you know obviously we know the quarter, the situation with their quarterback but you know Kittle's a good, unbelievable player their defense is really good and then you find out that The guy that, Kevin, as you talked about, and you tell me if you read into this, for those that don't know, but the Colts had their eye on a coaching candidate out of San Francisco who said, I'm going to talk to a couple teams, but the Colts aren't going to be one of them yet. Do we read into that?
2: Yeah. In Tobacco Ryan's case, you know, Denver and Houston, he has ties specifically to both of those organizations. So I don't think it's maybe the most stunning thing. He put those two on the list and put Arizona and Indy kind of on the second tier. And like you said, Jake, you know, I think his quote was, I didn't have time to interview with them, which I would think four interviews is a lot to do when you're preparing for a a, a game like that. We'll see if he interviews today. I think this would be the day for him to take care of Arizona and Indy before he really gets into the prep for Philadelphia in the NFC Championship game. Uh, but again, he's the guy that I've been most curious about throughout this process. And Jake, the guy that I had second on the list back when Frank Wright got fired in November. I know he's not calling plays, but look at what Brian Callahan and that Cincinnati offense continues to to do. Again, winning, I thought, in a different way uh, with a really banged up offensive line uh, in Buffalo. So um, I don't make maybe a ton of it out of D'Amico Ryan's. I think you always knew he was going to be really coveted, and the mutual interest, we'll see how much it is. Um, but you got to think... As the week moves along, we'll start to get this list pared down a bit. I think it's 14 people that have interviewed for the Colts head coaching job. 13 are still alive with Ben Johnson taking his name out of the running in Detroit. I I would expect it to be down to a handful, um, and you start to get into some second interviews with Jim Irsay now being more involved in the process.
1: Kevin, I, I will readily admit this. Let me preface with this. Let me preface by saying I, I'm aware of the cynicism this is going that is going to emanate from the statement I'm about to make and I'm also aware and I will pin on myself my own hypocrisy that if it didn't go this way, I would probably be sitting here at 7:10 on a Monday morning. good morning to all of you and saying that I can't believe they're not interviewing more candidates. So I I am absolutely confessing to the hypocrisy or the lunacy of what I'm about to say but the NFL now everything has become about the theater and the show the draft now is a three-day event with long drawn-out things and entertainment in between sets and you know what in between rounds and and you know 80,000 people that are that we are told are 650,000 and etc the Combine is now like a week-long event that's on television and you can watch it and you can sit around and watch, you know, fat guys and their Nike Air Monarchs with stopwatches, watching guys walk around in their Fruit of the Looms. Everything about it is a, a reality show. It feels like now, and I don't know, I, I don't cover other franchises, so I don't know how it goes elsewhere, but it feels like that's the category that we're getting into here of like... This week, here's the three people that like today, here's the three people we're going to tweet out that we've interviewed. I mean, they're up to, I get it. You want to cast a full net. It just feels to me like you've known for two months that you were going to go through a coaching search and I know that you want to make sure that nobody comes in and blows you, blows you away but shouldn't they have like had it narrowed down to like you know what these are the fi- like we are analyzing this from the day that we fired Frank Reich and these are the five guys we want and we're going to interview those five guys like at this point it feels like there are people going through the process that that may not even have interest in the job and that they're interviewing people that they may not have any interest in hiring
2: yeah i got no issue with it um You're a bad football team. I think you should gather as much intel
1: as possible. Yeah, I'm not not saying I have an issue with it. Like, I just, I think, and again, I I am 100%... 100 percent. i will admit to the fact that if they just interviewed three people and then made a hire we'd be like wait a minute like why are they not interviewing more people but i, I guess what i'm getting at is this they can take as long as they want and they can interview as many people as they want and whatever else but like i don't need the, the theater and the drama of knowing every day who they're talking to next and who they just talked to and who's not ne- i think fans i think they're bordering on fans getting exhausted by it
2: well i mean part of that's just the media climate you live in these agents want News out there that their coaching candidates are being interviewed. They want to prop up their their candidates, and I I mean the Colts are being somewhat transparent with the process, so um, I've got no problem with that side of it. And also, you got to look at NFL rules. You couldn't talk to D'Amico Ryan's until this past week. You couldn't talk to Dan Quinn. You couldn't talk to Brian Callahan because those teams played on Wild Card Weekend. So there are NFL rules that play into you know some of the more coveted candidates not being able to interview during the first week. And again, this is not just a Colts thing. I mean, Carolina's interviewed around a dozen. You see all five openings uh, still being open as we reach now week three of the offseason. Honestly, I thought Chuck Pagano kind of told us a little bit about it last week and saying, Chuck likes how the process is now. You know, when, when Chuck was going through it in 2012, Chuck wasn't able to talk until after the AFC championship game. Now these candidates are at least able to do it a little bit earlier in the process. So if you do get on these deep playoff runs like some of these teams are, the D'Amico Ryans of the world, they can chat today. They could chat on Saturday. So, um, yeah, I got I got no uh, issue with it. Uh, Bob Kravitz going to join us around 9 o'clock. We'll talk some IU hoops with Zach Osterman at 8.30. Again, three in a row for Indiana. Extremely impressive uh, double-digit wins. Wisconsin at Illinois and Michigan State. Uh, The three-point shooting yesterday. Obviously, Trace Jackson-Davis, another huge one. Uh, But Tamar Bates, Trey Galloway, shot it tremendous. Uh, The Pacers, that is now seven in a row, Jake. Um, You know, something that stood out to me about the Pacers this weekend, they lose to Denver Friday, to Phoenix Saturday. It's gotten to the point where over the last two weeks, ever since this Halliburton injury, teams are looking at the Pacers and saying, we are going to rest a lot of people against you, and then they still come out and just pummel Indiana. That's not a good combination when teams are looking at you and say, uh, Denver, yeah, we're not going to play Jokic. Yeah, you don't want to be their homecoming game, right? Yeah, we're not going to play Jokic, but we're still going to have one of our best offensive performances of the season. Milwaukee last week, yeah, we're not going to play Giannis or Middleton, but we're still going to have a season high in points. I know Phoenix didn't blow Indiana out on Saturday, but Phoenix sat Aiton and Booker and Paul and... I think maybe even Cam Johnson, and they beat Indiana. So that is seven straight losses for the Pacers. And, oh boy, I, I just think it's some it's some reevaluation time when you look at the trade deadline. And it's a reminder of you still need a major, major piece. Because you see these other teams, again, Denver without Jokic, Phoenix without those guys, Milwaukee without those guys, those teams are able to still withstand some of that. The Pacers are losing Tyrese Halliburton, and they're falling apart.
1: See, I'm going to disagree there in terms of evaluating at the trade deadline because this was, and I think this is what we lose sight of, this year was never about this year. We got a little bit spoiled and a little bit tempted because they gelled early, but it was never about pursuing this year. As a matter of fact, the Pacers were the ones, if you want to talk transparency, that were the most transparent. Look, this year is going to be about getting minutes and – trying combinations and seeing what works and they got out to a great start no doubt about it and there are certainly areas where they need improvement but to me it feels like those are areas where they need to be simply added on and I don't know that you do it via subtraction because they do have a pretty good unit and core it's just a matter of sure Halliburton he is absolutely the straw that mixes the drink. But most teams have a player that if you remove them, everything changes in terms of their approach to a particular game. I get what you're saying. This group certainly needs pieces added to it. I just don't know that it's like Jenga. I think there are too many key critical blocks of wood in there that it all crumbles down if you remove them. Halliburton certainly is one of them. Um, but I, I think Halliburton's
2: from, the only block. I mean, it's crumbled without him in the lineup seven straight. And again, you look at Milwaukee. I'm
1: talking about long term. I don't mean right now. I, I don't. I don't care if they don't make the playoffs this year because going into it, I thought that was what the year right. was going to be. You know what I mean? And so it's it sure. I, I I get what you're saying. I mean, it it became fun there, right? Of like, oh my gosh, like that. You know, this is a, a team that can contend right away but i think that you have to take a step back a little bit and just say okay this is actually now what where they thought where we thought they were going to be right um and so therefore i i i don't want them to suddenly be accelerated and get greedy and trade away pieces that in the long term are going to be best for them to have here as, for the sake of this year, because it was never about this season. Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, I, yeah, let me make it very clear. Yeah, by no means by saying they need all of a sudden become some buyer. No, I, I'm saying, if anything, you, you should sell, um, because you have to get another major piece. But what, do, what would you sell? Well, if Turner's not going to sign the— the extension, he would be he'd be
1: atop the list. Well, I agree with that. If he's not going to sign, I think he will. And then absolutely. I think
2: you need to look at and be open minded. Not not saying that you need to do it, but you need to look at stuff that you could get for Buddy Healed um, and some other veterans. I, I I don't know if Tice or Packaging Tice, Tice is intriguing. Yeah, Chris Duarte or Goga or TJ McConnell. I'm not acting like you know the, these are going to merit a whole lot in return for you, um, but. They are just so reliant on Halliburton, and I think you're seeing it. You know, when guys like Buddy Heal the Miles Turner rise up the scouting report, you're seeing a little bit of exposure there, which again is a credit to Halliburton and how great of a player he's been and how valuable he is. Uh, But it's also a reminder that the Pacers need um, a lot more to get to the level that they should be striving for. It's Chicago and Orlando. Home Chicago on Tuesday, at Orlando Wednesday. That's the back-to-back. Again, Tyrese Halliburton, that news kind of broke late last week with us uh, when he updated uh, his knee and elbow injury. It sounds like it's more elbow than knee. Both of this left side of his body, left knee, left elbow. Um, I think he was on with Jeremiah Johnson, one of the games. I forget if it was Denver or Phoenix, but he mentioned that he's still not all the way back, kind of dribbling with both hands yet, uh, but said to J.J. Redick on that podcast late last week, that the end of the month, um, so Thursday is supposed to be the re-evaluation mark for him, but it sounds like that shifted by a few days.
1: Yeah, it took a little bit longer than we thought, right? Because wasn't it supposed to be, at two weeks, he'd be re-evaluated, and then he comes out and he says, I think it's still going to be like another week before I'm evaluated, and it's like, wait, wait a minute, what? So
2: Thursday's the 26th, now he's saying the end of the month, so that would be what, a week from tomorrow,
1: is the 31st. Ah uh, you have a good weekend yeah, it was good. I went um Friday night we went to go see the Whale which it's been a long time since I've you know just gone to see a movie in the theater I think we mentioned that last week that um, I thought it looked good. I thought it was I thought the movie itself was outstanding. There are a few movies that you see it was based on a play originally and you're about three quarters the way through the movie when you realize have you seen it Mark? No, I want to. About three quarters of the way through the movie, it dawned on me: the entire movie takes place in one set, one scene, like one locale. Really? Just, yeah, they never change. Pretty rare. And and after a while, you're kind of like, "Well, wait a minute," because it's about a morbidly obese guy that that because of his because of that he is physically limited, so he just he never leaves his house. Um, there are a lot that probably found it very depressing I, I actually found it kind of uplifting but it's brendan brendan Fraser who i did not realize did you know he was born in indianapolis i had no idea of that really um and did, maybe a dual of the jungle? canada
3: but i know he's from indianapolis
1: that is correct he did he he was born here and he moved like as an infant and eventually to toronto i think mm-hmm. or somewhere in canada did he play george of the jungle i thought yeah. he did yeah Um, the disney version i mean i'm kind of unfamiliar with his filmography but he is amazing in it if he doesn't get nominated for best actor and and probably win best actor although the guy that played elvis probably is going to win it for other reasons now but um he was unbelievable in it so we did that and then saturday just went out to dinner and watched the games it was fun we went bowling on saturday oh really where'd you go bowling a little woodland action oh yeah now do you duck pinball have you done that I have uh, done it. It's
2: much harder than it looks. I would totally agree with the, that. The, the ricochet of pens pretty non-existent
1: on the old duck pen action and, there. And the, um, you know, when you're bowling on lanes that were that have been there since 1920, there's some divots. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> it's, it's yeah, not, I've been to the
2: Fountain Square one. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah, yeah, they're it's not
1: exactly smooth. My God, like, oh, this is kind of reminiscent <laughs> of the potholes
2: around <laughs> Indianapolis. So, v- v- very fitting. It's there. funny.
1: Didn't I just ask you, you guys, like a week ago? I'm like, you ever go bowling? Like, it's one of those things that, you know, you're always like, yeah, I'll go, and every time you do it, it's you have fun with it. Oh, it was great. Yeah. But,
2: Had some beer, ate some pizza. The kids loved it. I mean, it was packed. Packed. I mean, it, Saturday was, you know, ugly weather, so perfect for that. Watched a little football.
1: Uh, now, yeah. did you have to it's reserve a lane, or do you just walk yeah, in? Yeah, we
2: did. It looked like the line, if you were just kind of walking in, was pretty long, so yeah, Maddie uh, You don't know have a Maddie pair of bowling shoes? that doesn't shock me
1: i've never worn them i thought it would be cool to have them and then i'd wear them you know there was like a i kind of enjoy renting them i like the look <laughs> i like when they spray them tss, tss. like oh it's <laughs> problem <are> very, solved <laughs> here we go good to go <laughs> a little lysol in the yeah. soles, and i'm good to go right now i like bowling that's fun though again
2: bob kravitz gonna join us at nine zach osterman at 8 30 jake you mentioned purdue likely to climb back to number one In the rankings, Houston loses to Temple, Kansas loses to TCU. I think that's kind of the reminder of the win ugly by Purdue. I mean, how big of a favorite was Kansas against TCU? How big of a favorite was Houston against Temple? Right. You know, Purdue winning by three, kind of surviving one there. It's getting to the point with Purdue. It's odd to say this in late January. But, like, as long as they don't fall apart in the Big Ten They're probably going to have a resume that's worthy of a number one seed, even if they bow out early in the Big Ten tournament. Like, if you look at the teams around them in college basketball, there's not a lot of great, great teams. In particular, and I know, again, it's a bit early to start thinking about this, there's not a lot of great teams in this part of the country. If you look at the number one and number two seeds, you kind of got to go a little bit of Houston, I guess Kansas for a time, you know, Arizona and UCLA have built some good resumes. Um, you don't have your Kentuckys, your Villanovas, your you know North Carolinas, Dukes, et cetera, Virginia in years past. So I know it's probably a little bit early to start looking at that stuff. But if you're mapping out an NCAA tournament path for Purdue, it could very well look like you know, Columbus for the first two rounds I saw as a site. And then Louisville would be the closest Midwest region, which uh, isn't that where they were? When they lost to
1: Virginia in the correct. elite? Correct. Yeah, correct.
2: The so young Obviously, center, right? some history there. But uh, Purdue survives against Maryland and Indiana again. Extremely impressive uh, this week for those two teams. I think I use at the barn, if I'm not mistaken, on Wednesday night. And then uh, Purdue has got
1: Michigan. I also thought it'd be cool to go watch a game at the barn. Yeah, 9 o'clock. So that's
2: much more of the barn atmosphere. Purdue got the 7 o'clock. Eastern Time tip last week. IU's going to get the 9 o'clock coming up on Wednesday. Purdue is 9 o'clock in Ann Arbor on Thursday. And what? We're less than two weeks away from our first Purdue, Indiana. Week from Saturday, I believe.
1: Where where do they go first? Uh, Bloomington. Boy, do you remember three months ago it was a foregone conclusion. This is the year that Indiana gets the sweep. then the season begins, and it's like, wait a minute. Boy, people were acting like that was a layup in in Mackey? I think so. Like, people were like, ah, you know, Jaden Ivey's gone, and, you know, Trevion Williams is gone, and look at everything Indiana's got back. And I mean, it probably is going to be a split year, but we'll see, right? A couple
2: Saturday games. It's going to be fun with those games. In that rivalry. Again, Zach Osterman to talk IU around 8.30, Bob Kravitz at 9 o'clock. Good Monday morning to you. Was it spitting for you? It was a little spitting. Spitting rain for yeah. me. It's kind of an ugly
1: yeah, not great. Monday.
2: Kind of a shine on the roads driving in here. So watch out for that. Kevin Bowen, Jake Quarry, Mark Dykton, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.
0: The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan.
2: It's been quite a while since you've seen Indiana basketball r- roll off three in a row by double digits in the Big Ten, let alone against three, I would say, tournament teams. But they've done that. 82-69 on Sunday over Michigan State. Trace Jackson Davis, 31-15. Also threw in four assists and five blocks. You hate to like overlook that stat line, but it's pretty rare to see IU have an advantage behind the arc like they did on Sunday. They outscored Michigan State by 15 points behind the arc. Tamar Bates was 5 of 6 from 3. Trey Galloway knocked down all three of his attempts. So, the complimentary stuff outside of Jackson Davis that they had not been getting earlier in the season. Here was Mike Woodson afterwards on this impressive week and a half stretch here for Indiana.
4: You lose two starters, it's it's a shell shock to everybody. And especially when you now, you got to depend on the Malik's and the CJ's and and Jalen, who's never played at this level a long period of time. And that's where we were. I'm not using it as an excuse. You know, those guys, you know, mentally we were smacked in the face. And, you know, we started to go into the tailspin, I mean, the only way to get out of a tailspin, I've always believed this as a coach, you gotta work your way out of it. So practice became even harder.
2: I think something to keep in mind about what Indiana's done and what Trace Jackson Davis has done here as of late. Remember when they sat him late December to rest that back? Yep, he looks like a totally different player than he looked like early December.
1: Said afterwards he doesn't feel like anybody can guard him one-on-one in college basketball, and it kind of feels that way, right?
2: Yeah, and I get Michigan State and Illinois have been pretty stubborn in their defensive approaches with him, but again, he looks much, much healthier than he did in early December.
1: Uh, one other player that sees a lot of defensive attention, as a matter of fact, is... Um, There's becoming increased discussion about the physicality in guarding him. Zach Eady of Purdue, yesterday 10 of 17 from the floor, 24 points, 16 boards in the Boilers, 58-55 win over Maryland, kind of had to hold on for the victory. Purdue now almost certainly set to become, again, the number one team in the country after Houston lost 56-55 to Temple yesterday, and Kansas was beaten at home by TC2, TCU, they were beaten. But back to Zach Eady, Matt Painter, your thoughts on the physical level of play that your big man is seeing?
4: You know, it gets frustrating for him. It gets really frustrating for Zach with that. You know, he's he's like a pinata out there. You guys been to a party lately where there's a pinata? They really hit him. They they hit him really hard, and the candy comes out. I don't think there's any candy inside Zach, though. But, like, it it gets old. It really does. Like, as a coach, like, you know, you don't want to, you know, complain. You know, play the game, move on. But I I feel for him, you know, because I'm not, you know, I'm somebody that it's going to have to get extreme before, like, I I get upset about stuff. And it's just, like, I think we're past that. I have not
1: been to a party lately with a pinata. Yeah, I can't
2: say I have either. I was. If Matt Painter wants to throw me an invite, I'd be happy to. What what sort of candy would you put inside a piñata? Yeah, probably a Tootsie Roll.
1: Oh, Tootsie I mean. Rolls sound like they'd be par for the course. Bit of Honeys, Jolly Ranchers. Like yeah, I mean,
2: know. I'm not a big Tootsie Roll guy, Mark, but yeah, I mean... The, the, whoa, right whoa, at whoa, whoa,
1: whoa, whoa, whoa. Usually whoa. fine.
2: I mean, it, it's fine, but I like other candy much more than that. Who doesn't like Tootsie Rolls? It, it's fine, but if I'm going to stack a piñata, I don't know Give me the, the bla- flavored there.
3: Tootsie Rolls over the regular Tootsie Rolls. The regular Tootsie Rolls, I like in moderation and i like them in the tootsie roll pops I there's no them.
1: moderation about it that's the problem
3: well, there should be have you ever had like a super fresh tootsie roll how do you know if they're super fresh it's well like there's such thing
1: oh yeah it's like the girl at the end of ferris bueller's day off with the gummy bears they're soft mm-hmm. they're soft and warm i'm telling you like i have a i have a buddy that actually went to the tootsie roll factory and he was like it's it's life changing <laughs> <laughs> to get like right but out you of there. said
3: it. about the zero bar too though he said it was life-changing no, no, no. I quoted someone else to say no. Oh. Uh, Indiana and Purdue get wins
2: on Sunday. Butler gets absolutely smoked. Uh, at UConn, Do you it have was a 86- with the zero bar? 56. Uh, kind of par for the course with Butler this year in the Big East. <laughs> Uh, Jake we got four left in the NFL playoffs it will be the first game on Sunday it will be Philadelphia hosting San Francisco and the NFC championship the AFC championship will be a rematch from last year it will be Kansas City hosting Cincinnati so no neutral site Joe Burrow made that clear after the game uh, collect your refunds because it will be Cincinnati back to Arrowhead for that one your biggest storyline from divisional round weekend
1: that is a great question um Obviously, the storyline of, and this supports Chris Ballard's theory, it's not about one guy, San Francisco getting into the conference championship with the last player selected in the draft at quarterback is pretty remarkable. And that shows, but they have a ton of weapons around them, right? And they've done, They and, and he, look, he's a good player. You know, Purdy's a good player. He's playing well. But I think that's one that you have to watch um, that's interesting. I think your point is a good one also, Kevin, in the fact that the team that is playing perhaps the best is the one that no one's talking about, and that's Philadelphia. And Philadelphia's been the basically had the best record in the league the entire year. And yet we are absolutely transfixed on Kansas City and Cincinnati. And then the other big storyline, of course, is you know, Patrick Mahomes, what's that ankle gonna do over the course of the week? And and what is his range of motion going to be? By the time they are set to kick it off in Arrowhead,
2: again three of the four from last year. Philadelphia being the new conference finalist. Uh, of course, they were in the playoffs last year. Jalen Hurts and Nick Sirianni look to be a pairing that you know will probably be a mainstay in the NFC. So you get some great, great teams. I don't think you have some fluky Cinderella. You don't have some you know road wildcard team that's gotten hot. Um, these are teams that all have been pretty much mainstays over the past couple of months. Again, Bob Kravitz going to join us at 9. Zach Osterman at 8.30. Talk a little bit more. Uh, you, uh, for those that missed it, the Pacers, it is a 7-game losing streak for them. Uh, they've got Chicago tomorrow night at GameBridge Fieldhouse as they return home and then at Orlando on Wednesday. So we we'll chat a little Pacers here on this Monday morning. Kevin and Corey right here on 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kisquali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisquali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kisquali is right for you. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kisquali Ribocyclib 200 milligrams at kisquali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kisquali is right for you.
2: Good Monday morning. Thanks for tuning in to Kevin and Quarry on kind of a little bit of an ugly drive-in, it was spitting for me a bit. Don't think the roads are too too bad though. Did you have snow in your car? Ah, uh, yeah, just a little bit of a dusty, nothing too. Have you have you looked crazy. at the
1: forecast like on your phone? Is Wednesday?
2: Is that what I'm seeing here? Big snowstorm
1: or big-ish? well, all I know is I have I don't see the snow icon for the entire screen. Or excuse me, sun. Today it there's a little sun peeking behind the cloud, I guess. And then yes, Wednesday, ninety percent chance of snow.
2: And we're like back into the thirties, right? And then get on Sunday
1: snow. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, it's like, oh my gosh. When did I move to Poland? <laughs> I
2: mean, I woke up was it Sunday morning. We yeah yesterday morning. I'm like, wait, where did this come from? I guess I didn't really go to bed Saturday night thinking we were going to get a bunch of snow, and then all of a sudden we got that on Sunday morning. Uh, We did not see any Colts head coach interviews on Saturday, but they sandwiched some Friday and Sunday. So since we've last chatted, there's been five interviews. You go back to Friday, they interviewed Dan Quinn, a Cowboys defensive coordinator, Bengals OC Brian Callahan. And then I would say, Jake, if any name so far is qualified as a somewhat of a surprise It would be Rich Bisaccia, who was an interim for the Raiders last year. He's the Packers special teams coordinator. Um, He interviewed for the opening on Friday morning. I don't know how in tune, I guess, people are to remembering what the Raiders went through last season, but John Gruden gets fired over those emails in, what, early October. Uh, Tragically, Henry Ruggs is in a car crash that kills somebody um, and the Raiders under this, you know, somewhat, I think of an unknown. I think he's known a little bit more around NFL circles uh, than just to the average fan. Versace takes over his interim. They go seven and five. They come here to Lucas Oil Stadium. They beat the Colts with two weeks to go in the season. They make the playoffs and they, I mean, they gave Cincinnati everything they could handle in that wildcard game in Cincinnati as well. So, I would say of any of these names so far, he would probably qualify as the one that was like, huh, I didn't really see that coming.
1: The one thing about the coaching search to me that is interesting is this is phase one and then if the way the Colts outlined it is accurate and there's no reason to believe it's not, then all of this is going to take place before Chris Ballard is simply accumulating if you will. Chris Ballard is accumulating information for the names that he will then recommend to Jim Ursay So this is just phase one, and then the names go to Jim Ursay, and then Ursay decides theoretically he Ursa himself would probably do interviews. Yeah, I think
2: Ursae will be I'm involved sure he's here in, in these
1: second interviews. Yeah, and I'm sure he's involved in the, you know.
2: I don't think Ursay's showing up on too many of these zooms, to be honest with you, early on. But
1: but my point being this is just phase one basically and then ursa is going to have to do his interviews of it before he makes a decision i you know i'm curious how many names ballard then whittles it down to to give to Ursay. yeah what do you go with four or five I, I would say three probably three to four yeah five maybe and i would think that chris ballard probably is going to have to include jeff saturday in that list don't you think
2: um. Well, I I guess Ballard might say, "Hey, here are my four. Do you want to add anybody?" And then Jim would be like, I, "I don't see Jeff Sarri's name on this list. Uh, gonna add him there." Um, I think that's what we'll see this week. Is this list narrow down? Um, again, D'Amico Ryan's is the one candidate with reported interest that is yet to interview. We'll see if that takes place today. Um, if you're looking ahead to championship weekend, you're going to see coordinators that the Colts have interest in on all four of these teams. Philadelphia Shane Steichen, their O.C., San Francisco, D'Amico Ryans, their defensive coordinator. And then in the AFC game, it's both the offensive coordinators. Eric Bieniemy for Kansas City and Brian Callahan for Cincinnati. Now, neither of those guys call plays. Um, so I think that is something to point out. Um, if they cut it to five, Jake, you got any names that you would throw on that list?
1: Well, I you know, the more I think about it, I think D'Amico Ryans is going to end up in Houston. The one that... Because he played there? Yeah, I just think he has a relationship there. I I, I think Houston's intriguing for a lot of reasons. I mean, first off, you're... You know, the, the thing about the Indianapolis job is this. There have to be coaches. This is what would give me pause about the Colts head coaching job if I was a head coaching candidate. If you take, for example, Houston and the Colts, Houston was terrible last year. They don't. They're, they're a franchise that doesn't seem to have a lot of pieces, and quarterback is one that you know they're drafting second right now overall. Quarterback's a position of need. You're starting from the ground floor, but everyone knows you're starting from the ground floor. So you get a, there's a lot more, even though that's kind of a pain in the backside to have to and, a, and an arduous task. I think there's a lot less pressure there because everyone knows that you're starting from the ground floor. With the Indianapolis job, the assumption is, and I'm not saying it's reality, the assumption by, by fans and to an extent probably the owner of the franchise, the assumption is that the season that just unraveled unraveled greatly because they had the wrong head coach and maybe the wrong quarterback. And that they're not many pieces away from being right back to being uber competitive. I think people that know football would say, yeah, I'm not sure of that. I think this is an average roster at best, and one that people have the perception is supposed to be right there atop its division. And it's a division with a team that just made the divisional round of the playoffs with a 23 year old quarterback and an elite-level receiver that's joining him next year with a 22-year-old running back that was darn near a 1,000-yard rusher, that to me would give me pause in the fact that I would know that Indianapolis is perhaps a more difficult plug-and-win job than it is perceived to be, and there's going to be pressure on you right away. Dan Quinn, getting back to your question, is an interesting name to me, Kevin, because I don't know if you caught it, but I think it was on the Fox set. I can't remember. If it, Fox and CBS, they kind of run together to me. There's Both of them have like nine people up there talking. And sometimes it's even difficult to tell which one is saying what. But one of them, after the game, it must have been Fox because it was after the, the San Francisco-Dallas game, and they were just talking about the coaching performances and the fact that it was you know defensively speaking you had two good teams and all the they were talking about all the coordinators in the game and I think it was Jimmy Johnson said look at the job that D'Amico Ryans and Dan Quinn did in this particular round of games and that shows you why both of them in the next couple of weeks are going to be named as head coaches now I don't know how many places Dan Quinn's interviewed
2: yeah I think Denver And then Indy, of course. You know, he interviewed with the Colts on Friday. Uh, Denver, I know, has been kind of a popular name thrown around for Dan Quinn. I would say the biggest pause about Houston in that opening is if I'm going there to interview, I'm saying, wait, you guys have fired head coaches after one year, each of the last two years? (laughs) Not a lot of patience (laughs) for a franchise that I I don't think is in any sort of win-now mode. Uh, If I had to kind of whittle it down to five, I'd throw some offensive names on the list, of course. You know, I've been high on Brian Callahan, the Bengals O.C., for a while now. He seems
1: to be kind of a rising star, right?
2: I think Shane Steichen's quarterback background, along with Callahan, both of them are very similar. Steichen, the Eagles offensive coordinator. Again, I'd like to talk with Mike Kafka, and they did that yesterday. That was part of the Giants duo that the Colts interviewed yesterday. Uh, But Just get to know a little bit more about the youngest guy on the candidate list. and Then the two defensive coaches would be uh, D'Amico Ryans and Raheem Morris. That would be my final five if I were looking at it like that. Again, Jeff Saturday, probably Jim Mersey's eyes will find his way um, on that list. Um, But I think the big thing to watch for today is, do we see D'Amico Ryan's interview? Because once you get that done, and I would assume Ryan's would want to do that today and then just spend the rest of the week getting ready to take on the Eagles this Sunday, then I think that's when the Colts can start to get to, All right, we've talked to everybody that we want to Now let's get into the second round of interviews, which I believe Jim Merce, I don't think he's really been involved at all, to be honest with you, during these first round. I think that's where he will get involved, and you'll start to get this list a little bit more,
1: down to some actual finalists. What about about Derek's text here that he says to me, uh, Hey Jake, seems like Ballard's just throwing spaghetti against the wall to see if anything but Jeff Saturday sticks. I think there are a lot of people that feel that way, Kevin. Yeah, I think there are a lot of people that feel like the Colts, I don't, I'm don't. i not saying I agree with this, but I think there are a lot of fans out there that feel like you have two people influencing this decision with two different schools of thought, and that Jeff Saturday is a favorite of Jim Irsay. And then I'm not saying he doesn't get along with Chris Ballard, but that Chris Ballard is going to want to – Chris Ballard knows that Jeff Saturday is the incumbent and that he has to do what he has to to create and accumulate as many names as possible so that in case Jeff Saturday is the guy, they can still say, hey, you know what, like we – we did do an exhaustive search.
2: Yeah, I really think this is just kind of Ballard. This is how Ballard operates. He is extremely patient in virtually everything he does. I and mean, think about how he handles free agency. Think about how he handles drafts. Um, he is a really, really patient, and I think that is what he's doing with this process. And let's look around the league, Jake. Are you seeing finalists in Houston? Are you seeing finalists in Denver, Carolina? I think this is the new norm. That's what f- again, for, which is what
1: I said earlier, for, right? NFL team so um, I just don't ever remember it Kevin being I mean I you know I've been around the franchise a long time for a lot of coaching changes right I don't ever remember when all of a sudden it became and social media is probably a big part of it but I I don't ever remember the whole like daily announcements of who they've interviewed and where things stand and I'm not saying I have a problem with it I just think it's just kind of it's it's just different it's different than it's been in the past.
2: I think social media is a big part of it this is how they did in 2018. When they, you know, had the first head coaching search, and again, then, you know, McDaniel's is going to be announced the head coach the day after the Super Bowl. So even then, you were, you know, waiting until early February. Obviously, had to reset things on that front. So again, D'Amico Ryan's that would be the name to watch here moving forward. Do um, you think Ryan's will interview today or tomorrow? I think if he's going to do it, it would be today. I don't see why he would let it linger at all past today. I I, I mean, unless he was blown away by what he felt in, you know, his situations in Denver and Houston, the two interviews he already did. Um, I would think if he's already committed to talking with Indianapolis and Carolina, he'll follow through on that, and and we'll do it. Now you you probably got to you know keep in mind with Ryan, he interviewed with Minnesota last year, and pulled himself out of that search. So this is a guy that I think has created you know a brand isn't the right word but you know he has got some some cloud around the league to where a lot of people want to talk with him and so that is why um, I'm curious to see how this one plays out because of all the candidates him and Dan Quinn would probably qualify as the I've got three or four teams that are really interested in myself I don't necessarily have to actively pursue jobs that maybe some of these other names would on that list if you guys want to hop into that conversation, 317-239-1070. Again, Zach Osterman to talk IU hoops coming up at 8.30. Bob Kravitz at 9. We'll also get more into the Pacers and their recent losing streak. And basically two things, to me, stand out more than any other, positively and negatively, about where the Pacers are at right now as the All-Star break approaches. Kevin Inquiry right here on 93.5 on a The Fan.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Hi there. Good morning. My name is Jay Query, Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear on this program, Mark Dykden, Uh We used to work here, and uh, he's getting breakfast or something right now. Uh, Parker admirably filling in on... Uh, the big seat here. It is Kevin and Quarry on a Monday morning. Good morning to you. A little PBR bit is a breakfast this morning. Right? What's P- that? PBR is a breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> so it, you get all the food groups are covered there, right?
2: Shockingly, it probably is. Uh,
1: a little chilly out this morning, but be careful on your drive in. There was a little precipitation this morning. The NFC and AFC championship games are obviously set. Kansas City and Cincinnati on the AFC side. It is San Francisco in Philadelphia on the National Football Conference side of things. Kevin Bowen, my question for you. The early lines are in. Would you like to guess the point spreads in the two respective championship games? Ooh,
2: we already have lines, even with Mahomes' injury.
1: Okay, now here we go. I'm a little, it says, I says we get
2: deep into the week before here,
1: that. It says, note for the AFC game. The volatility of this line continues. Within 30 minutes, this line went from and then it has like a fluctuation. Um, Obviously, the Mahomes storyline will affect the line as it stands. But where it stands as of 1 o'clock this morning... I would say
2: both have got to be close to pick them. I would say Chiefs... I'll go with both home teams as a slight
1: favorite. Okay. By slight, you mean? Uh, Two. One. Kansas City, a a one-and-a-half-point favorite. This one, to me... Is interesting. Philadelphia, a two-point favorite. I, I would. I don't think Philadelphia gets enough credit. Think you you people, think it should be a bigger favorite? I do because San Francisco is probably the Niners don't get enough credit as well. And defensively, they're very, very good. And offensively, they are better than you would think. But still, at some point, and this is probably exactly what they want me to say talking about san francisco but at some point having a third string final pick in the draft quarterback who is a rookie is going to show itself is it not and it's not
2: like obviously they they pulled away from seattle big time but again they were down in the third quarter to Seattle in the opening round. I would argue that that Tony Pollard injury was the difference yesterday. I I really feel like if Pollard stays in that game, I think Dallas gets points there late in the first half. San Francisco then doesn't. In the second half, that is such a big loss for them, weapon-wise. Zeke, is he's just not any sort of -of out-of-the-backfield threat for you. Do you remember the play where Prescott like ran into the running back and then got pretty much had a slide behind the line of scrimmage for a big loss? It, it, It was a busted play. Right. That was their third-string running
1: back, and in those the game. are plays that probably don't bust when you've that, got that's
2: Pollard yeah. in there, and he is such a huge focal point for them. I would probably uh, my early thoughts are Cincinnati and Philly. Mm-hmm. I think that's
1: fair. Yeah, I mean,
2: Cincinnati impressed me so much yesterday. That was thorough. That was complete. It was both sides of the ball. Again, I don't love Romo, but I thought Romo was spot on in saying that Burrow performance was just a Peyton Manning fully in control, let's be methodical, let's be quick rhythm, let's realize our offensive line is banged up in this type of weather. They certainly want to run block, and they did that. They ran it extremely effectively. And you think back to the playoff run that the Colts had and winning the Super Bowl, I mean, their rushing attack, especially in the Super Bowl, was huge. And I thought Burrow leaned on that well, and then Jamar Chase and T. Higgins made some big plays. The thing
1: about Cincinnati Cincinnati just looks you know when Urban Meyer was at Ohio State more so when Urban Meyer was at Florida but in the early years of Urban Meyer at Ohio State you know I'm not sure exactly what happened to Urban Meyer I, I don't know if Urban Meyer just started believing in Urban Meyer too much I don't know but but the one thing about Urban Meyer's teams that it always impressed me when he was at the top of his game as a college coach Utah as well was they always looked like they knew exactly where to be and they looked unbelievably poised and well coached they just didn't make mistakes and that's what the Bengals look like right now they look like those teams that are just so in precision they know exactly the Bengals look like a team Kevin that not only knows exactly what they need to do they look like a team that knows exactly what the other team is going to try to do
2: Yeah, I think they just have so much swagger I know that's a term that's probably a but bit swagger
1: to me hearted. like they, they just they like have so there much are confidence. players in jacksonville that have swagger but it, but it doesn't it doesn't mean that that yeah the Bengals can actually back it up r- that's what i mean like i don't know that it's they are just precise i mean and i'm not a fan off the field of joe mixon but look at what he was able to do as well i mean
2: i think it all comes down to what burrows brought to them You know, it's a franchise that made the playoffs so often with Marvin Lewis and just playoff exit after playoff exit after playoff exit. And Burrow, I mean, we saw with Burrow at LSU, he just had that cockiness to him that I think players, that when he's on your team, you kind of gravitate towards and be like, dude, look how confident he is. How can you not be a little bit confident? And I think that's exactly what Cincinnati has in him. Because, again, his rookie season obviously ended short due to the torn ACL and they have tremendous weapons.
1: You know, Joe Burrow Here is something fascinating about Joe Burrow. Trevor Lawrence if I'm not mistaken is he, he might be the national high school football leader all time in like passing yards coming out of high school in Georgia. I mean, he, he was The number one prize recruit, whatever goes to Clemson, has the first 15-0 season, etc. Peyton Manning, when he was in high school, I mean, everyone knew about him because he was Archie Manning's son, and he was the number one recruit and the number one quarterback coming out into the pros, etc. Patrick Mahomes had a father that played professional sports, and I know he probably wasn't highly touted, but he threw huge numbers up at Texas Tech, you know, had great numbers, and then armed talent, etc. Joe Burrow, I'm looking at it right here. 2015 Joe Burrow a three-star recruit he got a rivals rating of 5.6 goes to Ohio State chose them over Boston College Central Michigan Cincinnati and East Carolina goes to Ohio State eventually gets the starting job but gets hurt never gets back out on the field transfers to LSU and has arguably the greatest single season in the history of college football and he may be off to from a I mean if they were to win it Kevin, you could make the argument that from college into the professional ranks that this is the best four-year stretch we've ever seen out of a quarterback. I mean, it is historic-level stuff. The accuracy and, to your point, the swagger that Joe Burrow has that just elevates everyone around him. It, It really is remarkable.
2: Yeah, honestly, probably whoever wins the AFC Championship, if they go on to win the Super Bowl, I know Mahomes didn't do it in college, but... I mean, look at Mahomes' first five years of playing in the NFL. Every single year it's in the AFC Championship game and made a couple Super Bowl trips. I know something we'll hear a lot, and Jake, you, you brought it up in the opening segment, is Chris Ballard's dream is watching the San Francisco 49ers. Yes. That is his dream, but when you look at the actions of the 49ers, they've done things a whole lot differently than the Colts have. Let's look at the support at the quarterback position. They have a top-five running back. The Colts do have that. They have a top-five wide receiver. The Colts do not have that. They have a top-five tight end. The Colts certainly do not have that. And they have a top-five left tackle. The Colts definitely do not have that. So I think that is worth pointing out, is they have an extreme amount of support at the quarterback. And let's not act like San Francisco has sat here and said, yeah, we don't need QB. What did they do two drafts ago? They made a huge trade-up to get Trey Lance. Like there came a point in time with Jimmy Garoppolo where they were like, hey, we need to do something different. We've got to get more dynamic at that spot. So they made a massive trade-up. So I understand that, again, Ballard is probably very envious of what San Francisco has done, but also they've done things a lot differently. And as good and as solid as I think the Colts' defense has played at times um, over the past few years, San Francisco's defense is on another level. That is an elite, elite defense. Um, I think this year they're number one in scoring and yards, so Sure, Ballard is envious, but at the same time, I don't think you can compare exactly what San Francisco has been able to build um, to what the Colts. And they still made a huge investment at quarterback. Um, I continue to think this, Jake. If San Francisco wins it all, does that make Trey Lance available? I, I've thought about that. I mean, and we talk about traits, and we talk about measurables and all that Trey Lance would check those boxes and would the Colts have interest and if you really want to get kind of I don't know if it's a dream scenario but if you really want to continue this thought a little bit further down the road what if D'Amico Ryans came here as the head coach and what if his offensive coordinator came from the Kyle Shanahan tree in San Francisco would then the new regime here be more open-minded to try and pursue a Trey
1: Lance. I wondered about that because as I was watching Purdy, I'm thinking to myself, and he's not, it's a little apples and oranges. But Kurt Warner, when he took over in St. Louis, I mean, it was, you know, the Rams, Trent Green, that was their big get. And then he gets hurt and it's like, oh man, the poor Rams. Now they weren't expected to be like a top flight team, but you know, it's like, yeah, they're going with some guy that, like, I thought was actually the running back from the Seahawks. And then Kurt Warner, you know, obviously everyone knows what happened. Purdy is obviously not throwing up those kinds of numbers, but the, the situation is similar in the fact that as soon as the injuries took place, you thought, well, there's no way they can win. You know, eh, poor San Francisco. You know, now they go with this guy out of Iowa You know, I mean, and boom. And the other thing, too, is... You know, look at George Kittle. He wasn't a – I mean, it's a fifth-round pick. Decent player at Iowa, but it's not like – I mean, Dallas Clark was more touted coming out of Iowa and obviously a great player than, than George Kittle. And sometimes guys just develop, right? And what a weapon he is. So they – to your point, they've got – they have the roster that Chris Ballard would love to get here. But Chris Ballard's had plenty of time to build that, Kevin. And
2: yeah, Daniel goes, what has Trey Lance done to warrant being traded for – he obviously hasn't played a ton in San Francisco, has been banged up, but the talent coming out of North Dakota State had a lot of people wanting to draft him. How, how about this? He,
1: It's a fair question, but the answer I would give would be what Trey Lance has done is in what clearly on a roster and in an organization that clearly has some football acumen about itself, they trusted him to put him in that position. They chose, him, they chose him over Purdy and, to an extent, Garoppolo, right? So, the fact that that the San Francisco 49ers are the ones that know him better than anybody else and they trusted him to be their starting yeah, quarterback.
2: Yeah, and you think about Kyle Shanahan and just offensively, how he's thought of around the league, the fact that Kyle Shanahan thought as highly as he did about Trey Lance and John Lynch, I know was a big part of that as well, to make that selection— I think you would at least have to discuss it. Um, Especially if you look at these quarterbacks coming out this year and maybe you don't feel like it's an absolute slam dunk of C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young, Will Levis, how all of that is going to unfold. Again, we'll talk some IU hoops coming up at 8.30. Zach Osterman going to join us and Bob Kravitz at 9. Jake, we got this tweet a little bit earlier from Ryan. He goes, crazy Monday morning thought. Does Tyrese Halliburton deserve to be in the MVP discussion based on the Pacers' recent performance? Uh, Obviously, he won't be, just because that's not how the NBA operates. But I said this last week. I forget which loss it was after. If you were going to rank players in the NBA and their value to their own teams, and just look at how the Pacers have played here over the last few weeks. Over the last, I guess, seven days, the Pacers have played Giannis and Jokic's teams. Both recent MVP winners. Milwaukee, without Giannis, without Middleton, I believe scored their second most points they've had all season. Denver, on Friday night, without Jokic, scored their most points of the season. And look at how the Pacers are playing without their best player. That, to me, tells you everything you need to know of when you're talking about value to his team in the NBA, you could put Halliburton right up there with anybody.
1: The answer is yes and no. Yes, Tyrese Halliburton should be thought of in that light because his value to the Indiana Pacers is has been greatly illuminated. No, that will not make any difference because the MVP is truly just who is having the best year, statistically speaking. Uh, I mean, what is Dallas, who's two games over five hundred? What what are they without Luka Doncic on the floor all the time, right? You know what? What is Memphis without John ja Morant? Over the course of five, six, seven games, sure you're going to have one-offs, but over the course of the totality of it, right? I mean, on and on and on. There, it comes, but it comes down to who are the best players. Halliburton is a very good player, but by definition, yes, he is showing to be amongst the most valuable players in the league. But that's, we all know that's not really what the award goes to.
2: Yeah, it's seven losses in a row. We talked a little bit about it earlier. Teams are treating the Pacers like the rest load management opponent, and then they're going out there and beating them. In uh, and, and Denver's case on Friday night or Milwaukee's case last week, beating them by a lot. To me, it, it, it's another reminder of, yes, you're looking at Halliburton as kind of the lead guy, but Jake... The Pacers need to make sure they're finding 1A and 1Bs and not just, oh, we need a small forward to just kind of slide in there and be the fifth guy for you. You still need some lead guys. So in Milwaukee's case, no Giannis, no Middleton, they've got Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday would walk in here and be an immediate number 1 option for right. you. you. You need to keep in mind that you need some other lead guys to where when Halliburton needs to defer or you have injuries in this case, you have other options that you can turn to. Because right now, everybody's gone up on the scouting report for the Pacers. And while Benedict Matherin is still scoring at a really high level, Buddy Hill to Miles Turner, their games have dipped big time without without Halliburton. So it's Which is probably not the most shocking thing in the world, but it's just another reminder of when you think about the Pacers moving forward, yes, you need additional pieces. But you've got to swing and make sure one of those pieces is elite, high-level, can be a go-to option for you. Because if you don't have that, I think you're always going to be kind of in that second-tier, maybe third-tier of Eastern Conference teams. You know,
1: it is not often that NBA trades work out for both teams evenly. Have you looked at Sacramento? Oh, yeah. They're they're going to end that playoffs, kid, right? I mean, Sacramento right now is the three-seed in the West, but they're getting outstanding play from De'Aaron Fox. Who's their leading scorer? Sabonis has been great. Sabonis has been, he's their second leading scorer, and he's averaging, you know, seven and a half boards per game. I mean, he is exactly what you would expect, or excuse me, he's averaging 13 boards a game. He's averaging seven and a half assists per game. So Sacramento just slides De'Aaron Fox, you know, gives him the basketball. He started every game this year, he's averaging 24 a game. I mean, he's been as good in Sacramento as Halliburton's been here. They just had two guys that were kind of the same player. This just worked out way. And, and Sabonis, Rashawn Holmes is a guy that was getting good minutes and giving good statistical padding in Sacramento, but I think they just realized and knew that they, they needed to upgrade at that position, particularly from ball movement standpoint. And with Sabonis here, I think there was the thought a lot of times that when Sabonis got the ball that it stalled the offense. But now he's become, his passing ability has been utilized with some of the wings in Sacramento. It's worked out well for both teams. And you very rarely see that, right? Very. But it's, it, it, but it's a trade that's worked out for both teams. Yeah, I think both teams viewed it
2: as a logjam. Logjam in the backcourt for Sacramento, yeah. Indiana. Logjam in the frontcourt. Um, and it's worked out pretty well. Jim points out, what if D'Amico Ryans got to the Houston Texans and then traded for Trey Lance? Obviously, that would open up the draft a whole lot.
1: That would be very interesting. Boy, that would, yeah, that would be—I mean, he would—if D'Amico Ryans went to Houston and talked to them into trading for Trey Lance and having that be their quarterback, that would be a ton of faith they're putting in him, and that's a ton of faith he's putting in the quarterback because it seems to be a fait accompli, is it not, that they're going to take a quarterback second? Jake, I think when we sat here
2: last divisional round Monday—so we were down to four teams last year— we talked a lot about the whiteouts of the teams left in the playoffs last year. It's another reminder of what wins in the NFL. I mean, look look at the playmakers of the teams that are left. Debo Samuel, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle, A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, Travis Kelsey. Like, <laughs> you've got to have weapons and... The entire skill group plays into that because obviously I named some tight ends there. You named some running backs as well. Um, you know, in, in Christian McCaffrey's case, of course, he's an extremely hybrid type of player um, and really has turned into, I would say, more of a receiver for, for San Francisco than anything. You just, you gotta, the Colts just are void of having anywhere close to that skill level and that support for their quarterback.
1: I thought it was interesting. I think it was Romo that said about T. Higgins, he's like, look, he's a number one. Don't kid yourself. I know they have Jamar Chase. They have two number one receivers, basically, right? And, and Burrow is an unbelievable quarterback, and maybe he he falls into that is part of the reason why that's the case with both those guys. But it is true, man, I, that the Bengal and the Bengals have guys that also just like that you that you forget about on the field that then end up making plays because well, you're so focused on those two.
2: All these teams have multiple. You know they they have two three maybe even four of them and I get kind of falls in line with what I was saying about the Pacers just a few minutes ago of when a team takes one away and they show that oftentimes in both of those games yesterday if you're going to commit two to Kittle watch Christian McCaffrey work one on one if you're going to commit two to Debo Samuel watch this uh, that's where I think the Colts have got to look long and hard at yes obviously quarterback speaks for itself but in recent years they have also not had. The amount of weapon, weapon, weaponry, weaponry. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, that is necessary in today's NFL. Well,
1: how about the the 2020 receiver class? You mentioned Henry Ruggs. He was the first receiver taken.
2: Was that the Pittman Jefferson class?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, well, CD Lamb is there too. CD Lamb went 17th. Justin Jefferson went 22nd. T Higgins went 33rd, and Pittman went 34th. DeAndre Swift was thirty-fifth. I mean, and then Jonathan Taylor, forty-first. That's a lot of offensive weapons in in one draft. Jim goes, as you list
2: the skill level players, how is Chris Bauard getting his seventh year? It's a fair question. Totally. Very fair question. Again, we'll talk IU hoops coming up with Zach Osterman. In about five minutes, Bob Kravitz joins us at the top of the hour. Let's uh, hit a morning check down. <laughs>
0: The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
2: Jake, let's lead off with the Hoosiers. It's been quite the last week and a half. Uh, Season teetering a bit there. And now three straight double-digit wins over Wisconsin at Illinois. And then yesterday, it was Michigan State, 82-69. Trace Jackson Davis. 31 points, 15 rebounds. The numbers that him and I guess even Zach Edey have put up all year long, you probably should like not take those for granted in what they're doing. But the difference, especially yesterday for Indiana, the three-point line, not often you see... IU have a 15-point advantage from behind the arc against their opponent. They did that. Tamar Bates, 5 of 6 from 3. Trey Galloway, 3 of 3 from behind the arc.
1: So you are going to show me Indiana. I will raise you Purdue. 58-55 over Maryland. The Boilers entering the game ranked third in the country. They had to kind of hold on, granted, but they get the win. Zach Eady, 24 points and 16 rebounds. Braden Smith had 8 points. Fletcher Lawyer had 7 for the Boilers. But Purdue now seemingly set to become the number one team in the country because Houston was defeated by Temple at home 56-55 Kansas losing on Saturday at home to TCU. Uh,
2: other state scores from the weekend, uh Butler ugly against mm. the Yukon yesterday. They lose by 30. Uh, Jake, I did not expect it to be this bad in the Big East for Fatmana. Uh, like where is the competition level?
1: Yeah, I, I again, I'm going to go back to I never th- Thought they should have. And hindsight's twenty twenty. I realized, but at the time, I was like, Atlantic Ten to me seemed like the perfect league for them. It just did, based on the size of the school. You know, so many factors. Big East was a big jump. Thad Mata. If there's if there's somebody that can get it going in the right direction, it's Thad Mata. But year one so far been a struggle.
2: Biggest loss of the season for Butler.
1: Uh, NBA last night, it was Miami over New Orleans 196 other winners, the Raptors the Thunder, the Clippers the Suns, the Nets, and the Lakers. What about the Pacers, you ask? Well, good question. Obviously, the Pacers Having lost a handful in a row here, they are going to be, they're back here, they are hosting Chicago. That's tomorrow night at the Fieldhouse, 7 o'clock tip, before back on the road they play in Orlando on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, back-to-back Tuesday, Wednesday against seven straight losses. The latest on Tyrese Halliburton, he's targeted a little bit more of the end of the month based off his recent comments, so that would be a week from tomorrow, is January 31st. Originally, this Thursday, the 26th, was thought to be that initial evaluation period, He has mentioned that it sounds a little bit more elbow-related than knee-related in terms of him coming back. He said he's doing some running, uh, but has not begun dribbling yet. Again, left elbow and left knee injuries he suffered uh, now a couple of weeks ago. So continue to monitor that.
1: Obviously, in the National Football League, we've been talking about it. Kansas City, 27-20 over the Jaguars. It was Philly 38-7 all over the New York Giants. Cincinnati winning in Buffalo, 27-10. San Francisco, 19-12 winners over the Cowboys. So then there were four. The Chiefs, the Bengals, the Niners, and the Philadelphia Eagles all vying for an opportunity to play in the Super Bowl. When we come back, we will talk a little Indiana basketball. Zach, is it Osterman or Osterman? I believe Osterman. Zach Osterman, Osterman joins us. Out it off. Th-
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
2: Three in a row in the Big Ten by double digits, let alone over three, like, I think, tournament teams.
6: Yeah, their last four-game win streak in the league... Uh, the last three-game in the win streak in the league was actually a four-game win streak at the end of the 2019 season. Uh, that stretch where they won four in a row and almost played their way into the tournament the year Romeo Langford was at IU. I'd have to go back and look at the scores, but uh, there was a one-point win over Michigan State in there. There was a pretty heavy win on the road against Illinois. Um, I think they beat Rutgers up pretty good at home, but, you know, again... To your point, I think the wherever like Wisconsin is individually this season, wherever Michigan State is right now, without Malik Hall, um, you know, that that was not against a a group as impressive as as what this three game win streak has been in terms of maybe the prestige of the programs and and also, frankly, what a couple of these wins do for you from a, a tournament perspective.
1: Zach, when you look at, and by the way, let me let me first say, and this might be a little esoteric to our listeners, but, um, my condolences on the passing of your dog Chewy, um, who you you wrote a nice little tribute about him. But uh, he was a handsome looking fella, and so thank you. I mean that, that is uh, honestly, I mean that's that's a that's a tough deal, man. So my my condolences to you on that. Um, Trace Jackson Davis, the level in which he has been playing is obviously unbelievably impressive. But how much of that? is not just Trace Jackson Davis, and as Kevin pointed out earlier, maybe feeling better with resting from the back injury, but just simply getting a second player. And it's kind of been by, you know, in some games it's been Geronimo, some games obviously it was Race Thompson at the beginning of the year, but they just need somebody else to complement off of what he is doing. Tamar Bates also played well yesterday. Do they have consistency of guys that can be the secondary player for them?
6: Uh, they might. And, and I think that, you know, that that's that's probably the big question here until you can get Race Thompson and or Xavier Johnson sort of fully healthy again is, is just is this consistent and obviously, you know, I mean listen, during that three game losing streak, you look at Jalen Hood numbers, um, you know, I mean he was he was picked in freshman of the week after the Iowa and Northwestern loss. I think he had fifty four points those two games. Um, but I think to your point, you know, I mean it, it, it the the number that jumped out to me um, when I was just kind of thumbing through some things yesterday afternoon and last night, Trace Jackson Davis right now has an assist rate of 28.6%. So he's assisting 28. And that's, that's my one-year-old chiming in. Forgive me. <laughs> um, he's assisting. We just replaced Chewy with Eamon. So, there you go. You know, <laughs> I like that. We're, just, we're, we're always keeping the background noise healthy here. Um, he's assisting on 28.6% of made baskets when he's on the floor. That's in Big Ten play alone, so that's through eight Big Ten games. Yogi Farrell's assist rate in Big Ten games the year Indiana won the Big Ten title in 2016 was 27%. So right now, Trace Jackson-Davis is assisting a higher percentage of baskets while he's on the floor than Yogi Farrell did the year he won, uh, uh, steered Indiana to a Big Ten title his senior year. And the point I'm trying to make is we can talk about Trace jackson Davis's points, his rebounds, those things, but it... it 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 does require a a great big man needs players around him to take advantage of the opportunities he creates, whether that's Jordan Geronimo getting backside rebounds and points and things like that, whether that's um, a a player like Tamar Bates knocking down threes, you know, Bates had had five threes yesterday and at least two or three of them right off the top of my head were direct results of actions uh, run through Trace Jackson Davis. A great big man, and this is, I, I guess I don't want to get too philosophical about, you know, just basketball, but a great big man still needs his teammates to to basically feed the opportunities his presence and his performance create, and that's what you're getting from Indiana here, and it is a little bit by committee in some respects, you know, you, you mentioned Geronimo, it was a lot quieter Sunday, but he had 25 and 19 against Illinois and uh, uh, Wisconsin combined. Um, you know, Jalen Hutchifino didn't have the best game in the world Sunday against Michigan State, but Trey, Trey Galloway and Tamar Bates step, off, step up uh, off the bench. I guess Galloway started, but you get my point. And so it's, it's the crucial piece for Indiana here is not just how well Trace Jackson Davis is playing, but how well his teammates are filling in the gaps around him and taking advantage of what he's creating.
2: Yeah, I mean, Purdue and Indiana have these unbelievable weapons, and they're big guys. you got to play off them and take advantage of the double team and just the constant attention that they command. Zach Osterman is with us here um, from the Indianapolis Star. Zach, when you think about Trace Jackson Davis' season and him sitting out those games around Christmas, I know there were some probably some ugly moments, some trying times. Obviously, that was when the Xavier Johnson injury and, and Jalen Hood Chaffina was getting some early kind of point guard looks there it just seems like that was so beneficial to to trace cuz he is moving in my opinion and you obviously watch every game and are at every game um he's just moving a whole lot better than i felt like he was in early december
6: i mean he even said by his own kind of admission he estimated he was probably at 60 to 70% you know through the period of time where and, and you know he told us after the illinois game that last week was the first week he would participated in any meaningful portion of practice and I think more than a month was what he said, and this is all and, back and related, had, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the this isn't the the thumb thing. I think that's cleared up. That's been cleared up for a while. This has been the back issue, and so so for more than a month, he basically just didn't practice. I'm sure he did some conditioning work, moves, some shooting, but in terms of the contact portions of practice and things like that, um, he was limited through all of that. Obviously, you mentioned the games he sat out. Even coming back, I mean, you, I think we all saw how uncomfortable he looked coming off the floor at halftime against Iowa in the Big Ten restart. So, it's not like it all cleared up around Christmas, but I think that managing it, you know, at least by what Jackson Davis himself said after the Illinois game, like I said, he estimated he was somewhere between 60 and 70% for a lot of that stretch. He says he's closer to 90 100% now. Again, he was able to get back into sort of full contact portions of practice for the first time last week. Obviously, listen, you know, a high usage big man, you're probably still just going to limit him in some ways down the stretch just because ultimately he's a fourth-year player. There's not a lot for him to to gain or to learn in practice, and he's going to take a a, a real sort of pounding physically in games. So you'll probably still withhold him from certain things and limit him in certain ways, you know, not in games. But I, I agree, and you know, frankly, probably more importantly, Trace Jackson Davis agrees that he is health-wise in a, a much better spot right now.
3: Zach, it was four
2: minutes for Race Thompson uh, making his return to the lineup. What is the latest on Xavier Johnson?
6: I mean, there's there's not a lot of sort of firm update. Um, it is very much still reading between the lines, and obviously, he's still got the walking boot on. His injury was always, always seemed like it was going to be longer term. I mean, his injury always seemed like it was going to require more time, um, if, if for no reason other than because it required surgery. Um, on the other hand, it, you know, I've been on this beat for, it's my 10th season for The Star, it's my 15th or 16th season for somebody. I kind of know the, the rhythms of this place, or at least I'd like to think I do. Xavier Johnson put out a, um, a video it was either like Friday or Saturday of, of him working out him putting up shots him in the weight room sort of showing the stuff that he's able to do uh, with Cliff Marshall even while he's in the boot you can see him in the boot even in like the weight room and that video was tagged um, by I like official social media accounts so that was a video that someone at IU officially made for him now I'm not saying he's gonna play Wednesday at Minnesota but I, I, again, just understanding the rhythms of this place and understanding kind of how it operates. Um, if he was going to be out another two months, nobody would have been like, hey, let's make you a video to tweet out and get people excited. So I, I do think it, it it seems like it is moving in a very positive direction with Xavier Johnson. I think it's going to be a little longer. I think it's always been a longer-term injury uh, than what Race Thompson suffered uh, at, at Iowa. Um, but I also don't think Indiana sort of puts that out into the world if there's not some optimism that that he can make some progress here soon.
1: Zach, I think there are a lot of people that assumed that this was the farewell tour back to Trace Jackson Davis, for Trace Jackson Davis, but he's got a year of eligibility left. When you look at where he slots in terms of professional play, which is probably a second round, a late first, but I would say more likely a second round pick which doesn't come necessarily with the lofty price tag and the guaranteed money that a first-rounder does, with NIL and the Adidas deal and everything else, is it possible that Trace Jackson Davis, financially speaking, is going to be just fine if he returns and he actually comes back next year?
6: I mean, I, I, I will preface this by saying I got to sit down with Trace Jackson Davis in, I guess, late October. And, you know, through our conversation... And at one point, I just kind of asked him directly, like he was just very sort of, "This is my last year. I'm looking at it as my last year." And he kind of admitted that he looked at last year as his last year until just things developed, and he decided to come back. So, to be really clear, like the the, the one time I've gotten him on the record about it, um, he's been you know pretty adamant that that he is viewing this all through the prism of this is my last year of college basketball. Um, now, that was October. Obviously, things can change between October and March. Uh, What I would say is, at least sort of hypothetically, for someone like Trace Jackson Davis, I think this is going to be true of a number of bigs in college basketball. I think it's going to be true of a number of quarterbacks in college football, at least as long as the NIL money stays where it is right now. um, There are going to be a lot of players, and he may be one of them. Um, not a lot of players, but but uh, a noticeable handful of players, and Trace Jackson Davis may be one of them, uh, for whom staying in college, uh, basically just until you're out of eligibility, is as lucrative, if not more lucrative, than turning pro. And and I bring up quarterbacks because I think the the, the two positions that seem to kind of grab this the most are you know, big men in college basketball that may not have a perfectly natural home at the professional level. Right. And then quarterbacks that obviously have a lot of talent at the college level, but probably are fifth, sixth, seventh round picks, maybe undrafted free agents at the professional level. You stay in college, it's six figures. It could be mid to high six figures. And I'm speaking about both of those groups of athletes right now. Um, you could also get in situations where, I mean, you bring up the, 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 the deal that Grace Jackson Davis has with Adidas. You can also get into situations. I think we've seen quarterbacks, um, pick up deals with car dealerships. So suddenly you've got your car paid for, you get a dealership or you get some sort of relationship with a, a nice apartment complex or a condo complex. Now your condos paid for your, my point is your overhead is very low, and you're bringing in this money, NIL deals are all supposed to be 100% guaranteed. Obviously, of course, we've we've, heard, we've all heard stories about things going wrong and things turning sour, but if, if you've got a good lawyer, you can sort of tighten that stuff down. Um, I, I don't want to speak for Trace Jackson Davis because, again, primarily because the one time I asked him about it, he was very sort of, this is my last year. Having said that, it's not hard to imagine a world where Trace Jackson Davis' most lucrative opportunity for, let's say, the 2023-2024 athletic year, wherever that is, in the NBA, in the G League, in Europe, or in college, may well be in college.
2: Something I brought up to Jake last week, um, and I'll kind of end with this, Zach. Um, Obviously, since you've had that conversation with Trace Jackson Davis, now his brother is at Indiana University. I'm curious if that would impact things at all. Um, On his brother's front, I guess, Taven Jackson, um, leaving Tennessee, now a member of the IU football program. Uh, For those that are not totally locked into what the quarterback depth chart looks like for Tom Allen, Zach, the Dexter Williams injury was ugly, and it sounds like it's going to take a whole lot of time to recover from that. Is this just a foregone conclusion? Taven Jackson's going to be the week one starter for Indiana this fall?
6: I wouldn't say it's a foregone conclusion if only because Taven Jackson, um, you know, still doesn't have a ton of college experience, uh, you know, in, in now he's not going to be competing in that room in the spring anyway with anybody who does, uh, because you're right, Dexter Williams injury is I think going to be a very long-term return. I mean, I don't, Know this for sure, but having seen my share of of significant knee injuries, if Dexter Williams was even healthy enough to compete for the job in fall camp, I think that would be ahead of schedule. Just based on you know what happened, what was required in terms of surgery, and, and where he is now. Um, but having said that, David Jackson is still far and away the most experienced of the other three guys in that room. Brandon Soresby had just a small handful of snaps last year. Brock Lowry, forgive me, is a true freshman. He is enrolled, so he'll have spring practice, which is very important for any quarterback. Um, But he's also still a a first-year player. And, you know, I mean, as much as we can sort of diagnose this stuff right now, looking at Taven Jackson's high school film, looking at what kind of, you know, little bits and pieces, you know, he got at Tennessee, I I talked to – a couple friends of mine who uh, cover Tennessee, and they were pretty clear. Tennessee did not ask him to leave. Nobody sort of moved him on. Nobody, um, you know, nobody said, "Oh, yeah, forgiveness." I'm not sure what's going on there but nobody asked Taven Jackson. Just sort of suggested maybe you, uh, maybe you need to go find a new. But maybe you need to go find a new program because he wasn't necessarily happy to see him out the door. And Tom Allen also said when we talked to him yesterday morning, Sunday morning, that Indiana does not intend to add another quarterback to its room uh, before spring season, which basically says to me that Tom Allen is comfortable with the options he has right now and he'll only reevaluate that quarterback room depth chart if he gets through spring practice and maybe somebody got hurt or there's just clearly a deficiency somewhere Um, that all to me does point toward Taven Jackson being at very least the front runner for that job and again I don't think you can say it's a foregone conclusion when he hasn't thrown a a pass in anger in an Indiana uniform even in a spring practice setting but um, I do think that that you know it's probably fair to assume he is at the head of the line right now
2: Zach I'm going to guess maybe some son's tears from having to witness dad watch the Atlanta Falcons for this entire season
6: uh, if you think I watched much of the Falcons this season, I got, I got a whole <laughs> other, you know, they, uh, we, we, you know, I heard you say, do we believe in Desmond Ritter?" all? We believe in is, is failure and pain. So, <laughs> uh, somewhere along the way, it will all go wrong. And that's, that's just, that's just what we're used to.
2: <laughs> Zach Osterman for the Indianapolis Star. Safe travels to Minneapolis this week, Zach. And, uh, thanks for the time, man.
6: Thanks for having me, folks. Good chatting to you. It's
2: Zach Osterman right there on the Payless Tennessee, Liquors hotline.
1: Uh, Nicholas, I, I think he just goes by Nick. I am Aliva. I believe that's. I'm saying that correct. I oh, see the QB of the big NIL yeah, deal. I mean, he's like the number one. Matter of fact, a lot of people think he he surpassed Arch Manning in terms of being the number one quarterback prospect in the country, and he is a Tennessee commit. So, if you are in the quarterback room at Tennessee, you probably thought to yourself, "Yeah." Might be uh, handing the keys over to...
2: Yeah, you can see the writing on the wall? Yeah. I nice. thought what stood out yesterday about what IU did, again, Jake, they go 9 of 15 from 3. That is so rare for them. Michigan State goes 4 of 14. Zach kind of brought it up. They just have not played off of Trace Jackson Davis well enough. I, I know like Purdue's you know, three-point shooting might not be astronomical, but they have certainly had more games in Indiana to where when your big guy's getting doubled or there's a lot of attention there, um, you've got to be able to play off of that. And I think that's always been the worry about watching IU with Trace Jackson Davis. It's like, at some point, Jake, he is going to run out of eligibility. And you're not going to have this big guy that's right. number 1 on the scouting report night in and night out. But on a day when Jalen hood Shafino doesn't do a whole lot of scoring for you, to get what they got from Tamar Bates and Trey Galloway,
1: very, very important. Uh, Indiana Indiana. probably would love to see Trace Jackson Davis come back next year, not just because he's a wonderful player, but also you got to look at what they got coming in, and it's not a lot. So
2: I think expecting Malik Renew to be whatever 16 and 8 next year um, is a bit premature on that front. Uh, We'll continue the conversation in about 10 minutes. Bob Kravitz is going to join us here. Kevin Aquari on a Monday. Bob Kravitz.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
2: I'm going to join us here in a little over five minutes. We'll certainly talk Colts Head Coaching Search with Bob. I think the name to watch for today, Jake, is D'Amico Ryans. Does he interview with Indianapolis? Reported yesterday that Interview with Denver and Houston, and then just felt like he didn't have enough time to get to Indianapolis and Carolina and getting ready for that game with Dallas. Um, so we'll see if he rounds out his head coach interview with those other teams. And I think if and when that happens, then the next question is, all right, move on to the second interviews, trim this list down. Right now, I think it's at 13 candidates. Trim it down, get Jim Mercer involved, and then this thing can start to pick up a little bit of pace
1: that's what really is fascinating to me you know if you're chris ballard you're like look i've i've interviewed every person under the sun and yet i don't get to be the one that makes the decision and is jim ursay just sitting back like hey i'll let chris go i don't think this is the case i'm simply presenting it for radio purposes uh i'll let chris go through the motions and then i'm gonna hire jeff saturday
2: I do think, I, I don't know how much this matters, Jake, but I do think Carly Ursay, the oldest Ursay daughter, is still around right now and is still you know taking part in somewhat of the interview process. I don't want to act like the Ursay family is totally not in the loop at all. Again, I don't know how much Jim would weigh her opinion on this, but um, D'Amico Ryans and Brian Callahan to me, those are the two I've thought all along. Should be high on the list. And Jake, I think if you are watching those two games yesterday, I think Brian Callahan and D'Amico Ryan showed why. They should be pretty darn coveted. Again, for Callahan, the Bengals' offense coordinator, his quarterback history, very extensive in this league. There's a Peyton Manning connection. We know what Jim Irsay thinks of that. So if you want to go back a little bit, and Peyton has spoken highly of Callahan before. Um, He's also worked with Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr, and of course now Joe Burrow. And then you look at D'Amico Ryan's and what the 49ers continue to do. Uh, that was pretty impressive, what they made Dak Prescott look like just one week after I thought Dak and the Cowboys were outstanding against Tampa Bay. So those are the two um, that I would like to see make it to the finalist list. And, of course, with Ryan's case, he's got a interview today.
1: You know, um, I mentioned this earlier. I thought it was interesting after – you know, Dan Quinn is that a name that you revisit, Kevin? Sure. Is it, I, I think that's the, that's uh, JMV's guy, right? Yeah, Likes the head I, coaching experience, and he coached a team to the Super Bowl. I, coaching to me is so fickle. I, I mean, you know, there are coaches that one minute it's like, man, this guy's the 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 rising star. I go back to I, sometimes it's a lot more about the Jimmys and Joes than the X's and O's. Man, who who are you coaching?
2: My worry with Quinn is this. You look at his Atlanta tenure, got off to a really nice start. I think it was, I think the Super Bowl was in his second season, if I'm not mistaken. Um, obviously, 28-3 to 3 and all of that. But if you look at what happened once Kyle Shanahan left, again, Dan Quinn, defensive-minded guy, obviously concentrating on that side of the ball. So offensively, Kyle Shanahan was really running the show there in Atlanta. When Shanahan took the job with the 49ers, Dan Quinn's Falcons went 14-23 and 23 the last three years. He was fired after an 0-5 start in that final season. Ironically, Raheem Morris was the one that took over as the interim head coach after that fire. And so that is my concern there is how much of Dan Quinn's success in Atlanta was Kyle Shanahan-based? Fair. Because when he left, it bottomed out quick.
1: You know one thing that I brought up yesterday? I mentioned this to you. We can talk with Bob Kravitz about this, but they, t- they were mentioning Jerry Rice on the broadcast yesterday. They were showing Jerry Rice in the game, and I sent the tweet that said, can-, can we all agree that Jerry Rice is the most undisputed greatest to play his position of any single position in the NFL? And there were a lot of people that were like, uh, Randy Moss? I don't dispute that Randy Moss was the more physically gifted player probably amongst the two, but in terms of their production as a player... And Randy Moss, who was a – I mean, I loved Randy Moss. Loved watching him play. But Randy Moss took some years off. I mean, there was there were a couple times where he just mailed it in, right? Jerry Rice never did. And, I mean, would you agree or – am I off base here, Kevin?
2: Yeah, I'd have to think about it a little bit more. I, I know we briefly talked. Um, were some people saying Jonathan Ogden at left tackle?
1: Well, people were saying Anthony Muno- Munoz. Left tackle is the one – Muno- but again, see that's what I'm saying. Like, there's a debate there, right? Is it Munoz? Is it Ogden? John Hanna, probably at guard, but then you're talking to you know, Matthews at guard. I mean, there's other players. Virtually any position, whoever you name, there is somebody who statistically is peer to them. For Jerry Rice, there is not.
2: Yeah, and I think the thing about Rice, which I think this matters a whole lot, Jake, and that's why I'm a big advocate for Frank Gore getting into the Hall of Fame. I think longevity matters.
1: Well, not. Only, someone also said, "Yeah, but he played with two Hall of Fame quarterbacks," and I'm like, "I don't disagree with that." But how much of Steve Young being a Hall of Famer is because of Jerry Rice? Sure.
2: I think you're like what is so to me of all the things that's so impressive about LeBron is his remarkable longevity. No question. I mean, how old is he now? Thirty. He's thirty-eight, maybe. I was gonna get. Yeah, it was close to forty. And he's continuing to do it on a. Somebody night told in. me he
1: spends a million dollars a year strictly on nutrition and and well, that's fitness. A pretty good return on
2: investment, right? I saw a stat the other day, and he's nearing, of course, the all-time leader in NBA in points in the NBA. He might actually be flirting with it when the Pacers host the Lakers are coming up. He's played with or he's played against eight father-son combinations. Well you know that when like he, guys he just crossed off Kenyon Martin and Kenyon Martin's son the other night and Gary Payton's son
1: when guys are really good players in the league and they're bringing their dad down to get a photo with both of you on the floor after a game you know <laughs> you've been around a while and you and you're good. Bob Kravitz joins us next here Kevin McCoy. it is nine o'clock in indianapolis technically it is nine o'clock everywhere in the eastern time zone my name is jake quarry kevin bowen the other voice you hear on this program it is kevin and quarry here on 93.5 5, 107.5 the fan joining us now on the of ziggers hotline you can read his work at the athletic bob kravitz joins us and bob i'm gonna begin i'm gonna just nominate you as my fellow old guy here okay we're gonna okay. be we're gonna be like the two old guys in the muppets um I don't have a problem with it. I'm not saying that, but this is new and unique to me, and I want you to tell me if you agree or disagree. I don't recall in years past NFL coaching searches being kind of like some sort of a reality show of like, we're going to tell you every single candidate, here's who today was, here, and here's who's lined up. And it just seems like a much more arduous process than what I remember it being in the past. But that's kind of the NFL in general. Slash uh, social fiction. media, it's social media, yeah.
7: Right, right, right. Well, I I think the Colts are going out of their way. Uh, it's become almost performative in a way they're, that's they're exact word. Yes, performative is a perfect you, word to tell you who is now. Now, other teams do this. You know, I mean, uh, I I've been in other markets where. Uh, they'll, you know, they'll put out a short release and tell you, you know, the Cleveland Browns interviewed Kevin Stefanski today by Zoom, etc etc. The Colts seem to be making more of a show of it than most teams, uh, I would say. And what scares me is that at some point they're going to say, hey, look, we talked to 27 guys we still think Jeff Saturday's the best man at the job. That's what scares me because if you were, if you were intent on hiring Jeff Saturday, knowing, uh, the temperature of this town, you would go through just about everybody you possibly think of. And then come back and say, look, we, we talked to 11, 12, 13 other people. And Jeff was still the best guy. Um, you know, But apparently, Jim is not holding it against other candidates that they have actual coaching experience. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes.
2: Again, Bob Kravitz with us from The Athletic. Assuming they do narrow this list down, Bob, this week to whatever, second interviews, finalists, however you want to describe it. I, Based off what you just said, is it your assumption that Jeff Saturday will definitely be on that list?
7: I've got to think so. And I think if he makes the top five, which is amazing to me, you know. Just looking, just looking at his, at his numbers, looking at, at, at the amount of experience he does does not have. That that suggests to me that they're they're going to go that route. But uh, I will be very pleased if he doesn't make the top five because that that'll tell us, you know, they're moving in a different direction. I I go in two different directions here. I like former head coaches. I like guys who are. Uh, you know, heading into their second job like a Raheem Morris, somebody like that who's made the mistakes at the highest level and knows what he wants the second time around. The other kind of coach that really interests me would be the quarterback whisperer, kind of a, a new age Frank Reich, whether that's Mike Kafka or uh, uh, Callahan with uh, with the Bengals who Peyton Manning absolutely adores. Um you know, there's, uh, Shane Steichen, who's done great jobs calling the plays in uh, Philly uh, and and turning uh, turning Jalen Hurts into a, a great passer on top of everything else. So I, I think there's two ways they can move. Um, I'm, I'm not as crazy about defensive uh, coaches as the head coach. Uh, I think, you know, as this team move forward, moves forward, it's all going to be about the young quarterback. But, you know, I, I'm into the leader of men sort of thing. I, I do like those those former head coaches, so I could go kind of either way uh, uh, along those lines.
2: Bob, I got one more on the coaching front. Um, what do you think happened with the Colts and any sort of interest in Jim Harbaugh?
7: Yeah, I, I asked about that the other day. I, I think the only person who had any interest in the organization in uh, Jim Harbaugh was probably Jim Irsay and uh, that went nowhere. You know, I, did they reach out to him? I, I have to assume that some, there were some communications, but, uh, you know, once he, taught, he talked to Carolina, um, he seems to think that if he shows up, he should just be given the job instead of being part of a long uh, process of interviews. Um, it, things didn't work out well with Minnesota last year. didn't work out with, with uh Carolina this year, I have to think they they reached out to him at some point, just to you know hear what he had to say. But I, I'm a little surprised that he wasn't, uh you know, that he hasn't gotten an interview or that he decided not to do an interview and and chose ultimately to move back to Michigan.
1: Bob, let me th- throw at you. Bob Kravitz is our guest. He's on the Payless Incurs Hotline. Let me throw at you a. A way Freudian thought by me, okay? <laughs> okay. If I'm Chris Ballard and I wade through and, and realize that I have navigated my way out of the Jeff Saturday experiment being kind of forced into my lap by the owner because of the owner's nostalgic nature towards his glory years. Mm-hmm. In that capacity, even though you and I, I think Bob can both agree that I don't foresee... A situation where peyton manning returns to work for the indianapolis colts i think that ship i don't even know if that ship was in the harbor right however right. if i'm chris ballard i am hesitant to hire anybody who has some sort of a link that in any way shape or form could convince my owner to bring peyton manning back into a front office role and therefore i just avoid that situation
7: altogether yeah, I could see. I could see that. I'm not sure where the Freudian part fills in here. But well, uh, am I
1: overthinking it?
7: Oh, are you overthinking? Okay, I got gotcha. you. Um, well, you have a tendency to do that. Um, I, I say that with love. Um, I don't think that. I, I think Ballard wants independence back. If that's kind of what you're asking, right. I, I, I think. I, I I think, you know, I mean, they brought back Cato June. They brought back Reggie, Reggie Wayne. Um, you wonder who else they're going to bring back, you know, Kyle DeVan. I mean, I, I have no idea. But, yeah, I, I would think that if you hire Saturday, he's going to want to bring in some of his old chums. And uh, that's not something that Chris Ballard – I mean, Chris Ballard and, and, and Peyton are not going to work together. It's just, you know, too strong – Alphas, well, I don't does, see that happen. does
1: Peyton Manning's relationship with Callahan cause Ballard to, to be lukewarm about it?
7: Oh, I don't think so, as long as as long as long he's not here. You know, I mean, uh, I know that Peyton loves Callahan. And, and let me tell you something, Callahan's got quite a record. You look at the quarterbacks he's worked with, including Peyton, and now he's got uh, Joe Burrow. And I don't get caught up in... He doesn't call plays. I mean, Nick Sirianni doesn't call plays either. Oh, I mean, that's Shane Steichen. So the the whole calling plays thing is not that that important to me. I mean, another guy that they, they're going to have to make a decision on. I think is Eric Bieniemy. I mean, you know, Eric Bieniemy had. I, I'm from. Uh, you know, I lived in Denver for a long time, and I know his background. And he's got some some issues. You know, but. His, he had a DUI 21 years ago. That was the last time he got in trouble. And you, you look at, you know, people change in their lives. You look at uh, the guy from Miami, McDaniel. Um, you know, he was, uh, uh, he's a recovering alcoholic, you know, and he, he you know, kind of hit bottom around 2015, 2016. And now he's a head coach of the National Football League and great on him. That's awesome. So I'm just what I'm saying is I don't know that you can hold all of uh, Eric Bieniemy's issues against him because it was a long time ago and people do age.
2: He's Bob Kravitz. He's from the Athletic. He's with us here on the Payless Lakers Hotline. Um, I, I guess I lied, Bob. I do have one more on the Colts head coaching front. If Jim Irsay hires Jeff Saturday, do you think Chris Boward would have second thoughts about still wanting to be here?
7: Yeah, uh, boy. You know, when, when you're making a lot of money, I, I thought the press conference was very telling. You know, he knew we were going to ask about, he knew that we were going to ask about Jim's meddling. And he he understands he writes the paycheck. And I would think that he probably stick it out. I really do. He's got young kids are in schools here. Uh, I think he'll make a family decision more than a professional decision. And... You know, uh, I, I, I think he'll, he'll take on the challenge, you know, and, you know, uh, that, that that could get potentially very ugly. I mean, he's made it very clear he had no desire to bring in Jeff Saturday the first time around. You know, what I don't want is for him to come back a second time around when they've hired Jeff Saturday full time and, you know, speak speak his praises, you know, sing his praises. Like, oh, this is the guy that I really want, and I'm on board. We all know it's BS. Um, But, you know, they've got a lot of guys that they're interviewing who I think are very interesting.
1: Bob, when I thought it was interesting, and we might have discussed this, in Ballard's press conference, somebody, uh, to your point, when the question was asked about Ursay meddling and getting too involved and ballard almost cut off the question and said i know where you're you're going with that
7: Uh, exactly and and i
1: know where you're going with that to me maybe this is jake Quarry overthinking it but hearing i know where you're going with that to me that is code for i'm blinking twice to tell you that yes in fact you're correct in that but that guy signs my so i can't say it right
7: exactly uh look he he, there's only 32 these damn jobs and yeah would he find another job Somewhere else, uh, pretty quickly, sure. But again, he's got a, a large family. He, uh, he adopted a number of children. Uh, they're all, you know, uh, of certain age in school. And I just don't know that. I mean, that, that's a hell of a paycheck, man. And there's only 32 of these jobs. He may just he may just for the short term play it out. But yeah, I mean, it's nice to think uh, you know it's not your paycheck. And you say, oh, I'm not going to put up with this BS. You know, uh, yeah. I mean, it, it would be it would be a slap in the face to Ballard. Absolutely no question. And would tell you exactly where he stands uh, as far as the power grid, Indianapolis Colts. But I think I think he'll stick it out.
2: Again, Bob Kravitz with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Bob shifting gears down to Bloomington. I think last time we spoke, things were teetering a bit. Yeah, uh, those yeah. Losses Iowa Northwestern. Uh, Penn State the other one there now all of a sudden three in a row and boy three in a row all by double digits all over tournament teams I I would be hard pressed to find the last time Indiana's done that within the Big Ten conference you believe in this (laughs) recent stretch or are you still thinking about what happened there earlier in January
7: you know I'm starting to think this might be close to what they are because uh, you know look it's taken you see what's going on with the Pacers right you know they've lost seven straight without Tyrese Halliburton you look, at the, you look at what's going on by you. I mean, they lost Xavier Johnson, they lost uh, Ray Thompson, and they stunk for a while. And you know now you look at Jalen Hotchfino, who's playing he was averaging like 18 points a game in the last six or seven games. I think guys are getting used to their new roles. I think Jordan Geronimo and, and Galloway, and let's face it, I mean, uh, I, I cannot wait. Until Zach Eady versus uh, Jackson uh, Jackson Davis said that would that's going to be awesome, you know, and that that may be for Player of the Year honors uh, nationally. So he's playing great. I, I think this is close to the team that we thought it might be. And then when when X comes back, whenever that happens to be, uh, they're going to be all they're going to be that much better. I just think it took them three, four, five games, maybe more, to get used to life without Ray Thompson and Xavier Johnson. The guys are guys are growing in their roles and playing better basketball.
2: You uh you mentioned that matchup a week from Saturday, Trish Jackson, Davis Saky, of course, they'll see each other again up in Mackey, uh about a month from now. Who do you think has a longer NBA career out of those two?
7: Wow, that's a Great question. You know, it's funny. I asked, um, I I went up to talk to Painter about something else and I asked him, uh, what do do you think about his pro prospects, about Edie's pro prospects, which is easy for me to say. And and he seemed to think that he had, look, he, he doesn't play, 20 years ago, he'd be the first player in the draft. He'd be Yao Ming. But we don't play basketball that way anymore. I tend to think that probably Trace would have a longer career. Uh, you know, I, I, boy, I, I, I could be talked out of that in a, in a, in a heartbeat. <laughs> but uh, I think Trace, because of his foot speed, uh, I, I think he can do more things on the floor and he's not as, he, he, he doesn't have to uh, rely so much on people getting him the ball. You know, I I don't know. That, that's, a, that's a great question, and that sounds like a column in the future.
2: Yeah, and, and I, I've obviously put some thought into it. You know, part of me thinks this. Trace Jackson Davis, while he is a tremendous college basketball player, I would argue he's developed very little NBA-type skills in his four agree. years down there. You know, the jump shot, the right hand. And Zach Eady. yes, his foot speed is his foot speed. But this is also a guy that's really young playing basketball. Like, Edie well, he, has good... only his fourth year, really. He's got good form at the foul line. I mean, what what if he steps out and is able to, you know, knock down a jump shot or two? And, and I, again, maybe he never gets there, but that is a thought that I've had of, can he stretch the floor? Uh, because when I see him at the foul line, I'm like, that form is pretty yeah. good. And, obviously, we saw Yao get to that point in his career where he could hit kind of face-up shots. Yeah.
7: Yeah, that's a really good point. Maybe, uh, you know, you look at Brooke Lopez. Sure. Uh, or wh- whichever Lopez. Uh, yeah, Brooke. Yeah, the um, one with the calmer the, hair. The <laughs> calmer hair, yeah. The one that doesn't look like the gecko, uh, the gecko guy. The caveman. Um, I, I think that's possible. It's I, definitely a story I'm, I'm going to be working on. I started already. You know, is there a spot for, for Zach Eady in the NBA? Yeah. Um, that's a great question, though, and, and I'm not. I'm not sure I have a really smart answer for it. I think you gave the smart answer right it there. It feels
1: like if Zach Eady had the exact same skill set right now, but instead of seeing video of him playing in the Big Ten for Purdue, the video was him playing with a Voight basketball on grainy VHS film in Lithuania. He'd be a top 18 pick. Like there are the, the league is is full of guys. That had size and came over from Europe as projects and are collecting huge money sitting on a bench. So why shouldn't Zach Eady get that opportunity? That that'd be my answer on
7: it. You know? What yeah, I mean? yeah. I just I just don't see him having the skill set let's say a uh, uh, Jokic does. No, I, I
1: don't mean that. But I mean, look at like who's the guy that. Who's the guy that's got like the Doctor Spock ears that plays for the Rockets and has become like a fan favorite because he's like seven foot five? Boban? And has, oh, Boban. Yeah. Boban. I mean, you know what kind of? I mean, you can't tell me Zach Eadie's not that
7: talented. Yeah. Oh no, no, no. but he's most definitely. I mean, look, there there is room for Zach Eadie in the NBA. Whether he's going to be uh, a guy who's going to be a difference maker, that I don't know. I mean, I think this is really, I think it's fascinating and. Again, I need to get on that and, and write that, but uh, you know, maybe before they play in a couple of weeks. But um, yeah, who's gonna? I, I don't have a smart answer for
2: that. Yeah, I, and I and again, ne- some people. Neither do I. I, I I'm I'm kind of grasping at straws, but I mean, it's a dude that shoot. I mean, he's got to be close to seventy five percent from the foul line this year. Like, oh yeah, he's got, he's got a I great mean, touch. He's got a decent stroke. So yeah, I think that would be interesting to see. How that plays out. Um, lastly, before we let you go, Bob, uh, NBA trade deadline two weeks from Thursday. Um, you think Miles Turner will sign an extension by then?
7: No, <laughs> I really don't. I mean, I well, what's what's the deadline they gave was it February 1st or something? So fe- I think fe- it's February. February 9th is
2: the is the trade deadline. So right, I would assume. Uh, and again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but if he doesn't sign it by February 9th, then does that mean he's he, gone? He gone.
7: Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, I know there's a later deadline for doing that extension sort of thing. I think it's in March. But, no, you can't take any chances. You cannot take the chance of losing uh, him for nothing. And let's face it, he's a good player, but these last seven games when – I mean, he's played well, but – they can't. They can't win with just him being there. With him being their best player, is what I'm saying. And, and so, I, I think. I think it makes sense to move him. Probably makes sense to move Buddy Heels As much as I love watching him play, and I think he's a great, great teammate and a good guy. Uh, I just uh, they they have. The way things have gone here in the last couple of weeks, I think it's pretty clear that this is a very, very incomplete team. They lose one guy and go completely in the dumper. Of course, the the uh, the, the schedule's been difficult, but yeah, I I think they, they they can't take any chances. They've got to get from Miles, especially with Miles having a career year. They should they ought to be able to get some good assets for Miles for Miles Turner.
2: Bob Kravitz from the Athletic—it's kind of been, I think, a little bit of a weekly Monday appearance with us. So, Bob, thank you for—I uh, like it. Yeah, thank you for doing this. We cover a little bit of everything and uh, the Athletic for Bob's latest. Bob, have a great week, man. All right, take care, boys. That's Bob You're Kravitz well. right there on the Payless Liquors hotline. That is so fascinating to me, Jake. What Zach Eadie going to look like at the
1: next level? I—I I, I would agree with that. The—the the jump that he's been able to make, um. Just in the last year and a half, you would. Th- I remember when Rick Smiths first got in the NBA. I like that Boban comparison, by the way. <laughs> you like that seriously? When when Rick Smiths first came into the league, you could tell for the first couple of years, and he had people forget he as a rookie. Rick Smiths, Rick Smiths as a rookie had to play right away because steve stepanovich got hurt and that wasn't necessarily the game plan for him and you could see the gears turning in his head the ball would come down to rick smith's and and it was like you could see that he was thinking through like now what am i supposed to do here there was no fluidity or or there was nothing natural about him and then eventually he grew into you know had really good moves and and obviously became a very good player because the thought process, everything was, in, it became instinctive for him. Zach Eady seems to, in the last year, have eliminated that. There was a time where that was the case with Zach Eady. It doesn't look that way anymore. He has very good fluidity about him.
2: Yeah, it's not robot. Correct. And, and you know, obviously they they talk about it a whole lot, but I think his background of playing hockey, playing baseball. I mean, he's been used to doing some other sports. I, you know, pros and cons about him at the next level. Obviously, the con is who is he guarding in college. He can just stay in the lane the whole... There's no defensive three three seconds. You get the NBA level. You got to get out of the lane. You got to guard people in space. The flip side of that says this. If you put Zach Eadie tomorrow on the... Whatever. On the Indiana Pacers. And he comes in in your second unit as the ninth guy. He's getting far less attention than he's getting right now in the college level. I mean, you, you're double teaming him every time he touches it in college. And he's putting up insane numbers. What if he's playing in the second unit... And again, you just throw it into him, and maybe it's not the amount of attention that he's getting at the the college level. Uh, that is a question I would have. And if and when he is able to develop just a face-up jump shot. The dude is 70 – I just looked it up. He's 74% from the foul line.
1: That's pretty good. By the way, on a side note, speaking of Rick Smith as a rookie, what if I told you that after the 1988 season, which was Rick Smith's rookie year, the Pacers, in an exploratory fashion, offered to Boston Rick Smith's Detlef Schrempf and a future number one for Larry Bird, and Jan Volk, the general manager of the Celtics, agreed to it. And when the Pacers faxed over the paperwork to make the trade official, Red Arbuck stepped in and blocked it. Ooh. Wow! So what year? Eighty-eight. Was Larry's
2: back kind of shot at that point, yes. or was it? Yeah. You
1: know. Boston was was. There was chatter amongst the league that Boston was had Reggie Lewis, I think it was, and that they thought that, that Bird, he was clearly towards the end of his career but was still a high-productive player. But the thought process was that perhaps they needed to rip off that Band-Aid. And the Pacers got wind of that and said, you know what? Well, let's just take a shot and made that proposal. And Jan Volk said, yeah, I'll do it. and. They Hmm. had the paperwork on the way, and Red Auerbach called the Pacers and said, uh, zero chance that's happening. I
2: feel like the Pacers have a lot more of those than other franchises. Obviously, the Jordan draft and all of that, but...
1: Yeah, the Jordan draft, that uh, that trade for Tom Owens to send their future 84 first-round pick to Portland probably didn't work out. So that that's not the
2: win-win say. that we were talking about earlier with Pacers-Kings? <laughs> that's right. Wouldn't qualify as right. the same.
1: The, the Pacers, that's great. Or in 78, drafting Ricky Roby instead of... Um, you know, or not Ricky. It was Ricky. Ricky Roby was the name of the kid in Blue Chips, right? Ricky Ricky. Ricky, yeah, I, I was like, yeah. I'm um, thinking Ricky Rubio.
2: I'm like, Roby. Did they it? just trade
1: him to the Cavs? Rick Roby was the player Got that they the selected Cavs? in '78 instead of having the foresight like Boston did of selecting the draft rights to Larry Bird a year early. That probably would have worked out better.
2: I, I'm enjoying the Bob Kravitz Monday combos. You can cover everything with Bob. Totally, he's
1: the, the cornucopia. Bob is what Good he is. Good little weekend reset. It's potpourri.
2: Miles Turner watch, two and a half weeks away. That'll be something to continue to keep an eye on as January turns into February. Pop quiz in about five minutes. So 317 1070 A brief scan of it. Oh, boy. That's a tough start to the week from Scotty.
6: What's
1: <laughs> Okay. Well, let's see. Sometimes, Scott, you you think that, and then to me, the pop quiz, it it really just comes down to what kind of hints can I come up
2: with? Well, yeah, that's... I
1: like to test myself. It's all about
2: Jake, Parker. Yeah, if you have that audio. Are
1: you new to this program? Well, Parker is, so I'm just making sure that he is... Parker, just so you know, the first thing that you need to know about this program is I Love Me Some Me.
2: This is where Mark needs to jump over the <laughs> the, the chair and make oh, sure that Frank! that, that the, audio the clip sooner, plays.
1: The sooner we all realize that, the happier we will all be yeah, as that, a collective that's dysfunctional early family. early
2: prerequisite to walking in the studio from <laughs> 7 to right. 10 a.m. Uh, for now, before the pop quiz, let's hit a morning check down. Let's
0: The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
1: We'll begin with college basketball where Purdue got out to a big double-digit lead over Maryland at the half. The Terrapins started to work things down in the second half, but Purdue holds on to win 58-55. Zach Eady had 24 points and 16 rebounds. Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer combined for 15. Purdue now set to become the number one team in the land because Temple defeated Houston, who was number one, and Kansas was beaten over the weekend to TCU. Now, we're really going to test Parker here um, because we have some audio from Matt Painter that we are going to play. I'll have Mark find that for us if he can, if Parker can't find it. But uh, yesterday, when talking about Zach Eadie and the new... Defensive style of guarding Zach Eady. This is a guy that, at seven foot four, is obviously getting fouled an awful lot and not giving up a lot of fouls himself. Matt Painter had an interesting analogy as to exactly what Zach Eady faces game in and game
4: out. You know, it gets frustrating for him. It gets really frustrating for Zach with that. You know, he's he's like a pinata out there. You guys been to a party lately where there's a pinata? They really hit him. They they hit him really hard, and the candy comes out. I don't think there's any candy inside Zach, though. But, like, it it gets old. It really does. Like, as a coach, like, you know, you don't want to, you know, complain. You know, play the game, move on. But I I feel for him. You know, because I'm not, you know, I'm somebody that it's going to have to get extreme before, like, I, I get upset about stuff. And it's just like I think we're past that.
1: Maybe have you, been, have you been to a party recently with a piñata?
2: And Rosie's third birthday in June. Matt Painter on the invite list. Now all of a sudden, Act.
4: bring
1: a piñata down sixty-five. Which which did you have more when you were a kid at birthday parties? Piñatas or pin the tail on the donkey? Oh.
3: Piñatas. Yeah, piñatas. I don't think I've ever played pin the tail. Yeah. On the you you went to parties with piñatas?
1: Played are they, it once. Piñatas many many are they always a little horse, a little donkey type fellow? No.
3: Well, unicorn ish? Yeah, unicorn yeah, exactly. was the most recent one at my daughter's birthday party that she went to.
2: Yeah, Mike Mike in the YouTube chat was like, You gotta get the pinata for the kid's birthday because especially at that age, they're so bad at it, they'll just keep on whacking it. That's that's
1: entertainment for an hour. Well you've gotta you, you've you've gotta hit it from the top down, right? Not like 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 you're
3: chopping at it.
2: Yeah. But again, you don't need some meathead little kid coming in there and just busting meathead it after one little
3: kid after one shot. See the right. one that we had, the one that was at the party, you pulled a string they're younger kids so you pulled the string and then what
2: defeats the purpose there's like
3: hundreds of strings and so then when you pulled finally the one so they got a bunch of turns and then when they pulled the one boom oh you so never knew guess work. yeah that's kind of like cool one, actually like a gender reveal how long is it going to say
1: how long is it going to be before some idiot decides to do a pinata gender reveal and then somebody gets hit in the stomach and hilarity ensues
2: uh iu 82 michigan state 69 oh, yesterday Tuesday. In Bloomington, that's three straight double-digit wins for Indiana in the Big Ten. Extremely impressive, considering where the season was turning. Trey Jackson Davis, thirty-one and fifteen in the three-point line, which is not something you typically say about IU, was a weapon. Tamar Bates, five of six from behind the arc. Trey Galloway, three of three. When Jalen Huchofino's got two for the entire game, Bates and Galloway doing that, absolutely massive
1: for Indiana. And speaking of 31, that is just one point more than the disparity between Connecticut and Butler yesterday. 86-56, Huskies win. Butler now 11-10. and they are 3-7 and seven in the Big East.
2: All right, the Pacers return from their West, I guess somewhat West Coast trip. Not really West Coast. Maybe Pacific time zone, mountain time zone would be better. Uh, 0-4 on the trip for Indiana. That is a seven-game losing streak. Tyrese Halliburton's value to this team uh, about f- through the roof right now. For Indiana this week, it will be Chicago on Tuesday at Orlando on Wednesday. So a back-to-back there. And then is this the weekend they've
1: got the Bucks and the Grizz? Let's see here. I've got the schedule right in front of me. By the way, do you feel like the Mountain Time Zone is underrated? Like, nobody ever talks about the Mountain Time Zone. I'm always confused. Uh, Bucks the on Friday, then at the Grizzlies on Oof, Sunday. Boy. And then back home for the Lakers on the second, Sacramento on the third, and Cleveland three in a row to start for the Speaking
2: February. of the Lakers, Alex Golden was texting me. We were talking about what does LeBron need to do to break the all-time record. Um, he could do it in Indiana if he averages 37.1 per game in the next five. Clippers, Spurs, Celtics, Nets, he can Knicks. could do that easily. Alex points out, I think he'll want to put on some big shows with those games being mostly nationally
1: televised. He'll probably have a rest day somewhere in there, right?
2: No, are they in? I mean, can they rest right now?
1: I mean, he's LeBron James. Well, I mean, <laughs> look at the Lakers. I, I understand, but he also, and trust me, he takes some rest days.
2: Is, is he taking a bunch this year? I think he's had. I know he's out with the ankle.
1: Yeah, he he's taking some days. I don't know about rest days, but what I'm saying is you have to factor in that, like a nagging little ankle right. thing, or you know, oblique or whatever.
2: Uh, Scotty, I thought the pop quiz looked difficult. <laughs> seven. A seven out of ten, and. Okay. I mean, that's pretty much AP psych is what we've got here. Uh, 317-239-107. Give us a call for the pop quiz.
5: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
0: Have you studied? Can you handle the pressure? Sharpen your pencils. It's time for the Pop Quiz with Kevin and Quarry. Brought to you by Jiffy Lube, Indiana's favorite oil change since 1985.
1: Okay, I'm looking at it here. You know, this... Uh, didn't we have Bernie Kosar? Wasn't that one of the answers? I know. I, I did a double take. One of the answers. I was like, well, wait a minute. It's Bernie Kosar again. Not the case.
2: Uh, the name to watch again today on the Colts head coaching front, D'Amico Ryans. Uh, does he end up interviewing? Um, and then I would assume the list of first interviews are all but done, but do the Colts throw any more people on that list, or are they moving into the second round of interviews? And think that will be the thing to keep an eye on. It is pop quiz time. Yeah, that one threw me off. Three. Do you remember
1: when I was a kid? Temple's pretty bad this year, right? Temple who beat Houston yesterday. They're like 11-10. and I looked it up. They're right around five. Notre Dame
2: should play then. Um, (laughs) Good to see Notre Dame got a spark off the Mike Bray announcement. Nothing like losing at home to Boston College. Did they really? I think by eight. Maybe more, honestly. They stink.
1: Do you have your list of candidates?
2: Oh, yeah. I figure we could map out maybe an hour or two each day the rest of the week to kind of go over those on the show.
1: You know when when you mentioned facetiously Randy Bennett didn't didn't we mention him from uh, St Mary's? Uh huh. And I sent him a, a text and said, I, and that I don't know him well, but he's become a friend of the show. And I said, yeah, we, we're we're fully on the Randy Bennett to Notre Dame train. And he sent back a flippant comment, but and that opened kind of this dialogue between the two of us about college basketball and he the two things he said he's like indiana's having a really good year because trace jackson davis is obviously a great player and keep in mind they eliminated indiana last year uh and then he said but purdue is extremely fun to watch because they're so well coached I thought that's probably pretty true right
2: i was hoping you'd give me more insight into the notre dame search I thought you were going to say uh, Brad Stevens' wife's always
1: been fond of the South Bend area. Randy Bennett replied and said like, "No, actually, uh, I'm not going to apply there because they've already they've mm-hmm. already hired Bill Self, nobody right, yeah. knows it." Yeah. yeah. calipari's Perry's <laughs> actually heading up to South Bend,
2: <laughs> yeah. Right up 65 to 31 and yeah." Um all right, it is time for the pop
1: quiz. Jake, give me
2: number 1 through 8.
1: Uh we'll go with, "You know what? Purdue is about to be ranked number 1, so we will go with number 1." How's that? Who we got, Parker?
8: We got Martin on the line. What's up, Martin? Hey, boys. How we doing this morning? Can we call you Marty? Heck yeah, Jake. Sure.
2: I uh, (laughs) I had a roommate in college, uh, real name Martin on the birth certificate, but went by Marty, so I was curious if that might be you, but I assume you didn't go to Indiana and graduate there in 2012?
8: I did not. I went to Ball State and graduated in 2008.
2: Chirp, chirp. Can, Can Michael Lewis come to Notre Dame, or would that be bad for Ball
8: State? I'm not sure it'll be that great for Notre Dame. Really? Tell me more. Well, I mean it's hard to gauge if any anybody in the Mac is any good, especially now with you know, it's just a feeder. All those all those non power six conferences in college hoops are just feeder programs for other, you know, bigger programs. If you've got a great player, has a good freshman year, they're gone. So it's hard it's gonna be hard for him to really stand out, I think.
2: It's an interesting point. Um, Ball State did lose on Friday night to Kent State. They've got Buffalo.
8: Like they tomorrow. had, they had the Mac. Their center was the Mac freshman of the year last year, and Lewis got him to stay. But I mean, you're going to have to do that every single year moving forward. He I mean, he did it once, but he's got to do that two more times. And uh, I just don't, it's
1: so exhausting I, I, to re-recruit your yeah. roster. Hey, Martin, right. when you were when you were at Ball State. Like you know, if, you, if people go to a Purdue game, it's like you got to go to Harry's. People go to an IU game, and you know, if you're an alum, you go to Knicks. Otherwise, you go to Kilroy's. Like, what's the bar in Ball State where you guys hung out?
8: The Chug, right? Yeah, I was cutting a rug down at the place called the Chug. Yep. <laughs> okay. Were you a, were you a rug cutter, Martin? Are you a you, you like now? To,
1: you like to fancy yourself as a John Travolta type? Are you a Saturday Night Fever type dancer?
8: <laughs> Nobody wants that, Jake. Nobody wants that. Fair enough.
1: <laughs> <laughs> fair enough uh, martin now, what about what about kevin dill went the other side with the with the uh, the phrase
8: there but that's okay uh martin it was is dill street still around i don't think Dill street is no i think got that i think that place got shut down that was the one that had the upper decker and yeah that was that was kind of sleazy yeah you know, i went to lot. dill
1: street and got myself in kind of a pickle you know what i mean uh hey martin what high school are we talking here for you
3: that was pathetic
8: Uh, so i moved here uh, my sophomore year of high school Uh, my dad was with the ball corporation so we moved from st louis to here uh you know at the time the ball headquarters was still a monthly so i went to yorktown uh, class of 2004
1: now i think we've i think you and i might have discussed this once before are you a so you would have been in st louis during depending on what year you moved here right around the greatest show on
8: turf right I was, and that makes me terrified with the Colts, man, because I've seen that apathy creep in to a city where the Rams went from the hottest thing on television, you know, on you know primetime games three four times a year to gone within a decade and it it, it just terrifies me with what's going on with the cold
1: that's a pleasant thought here on this monday morning from martin from muncie martin would you agree with this before we begin the pop quiz willie mcgee is a far more beloved figure within the st louis cardinal fan base of st louis than people outside of st louis would realize
8: oh yeah Oh, absolutely. Yep. Yep, yeah, 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 100%. I mean, they do it right in St. Louis. I've got, I mean, man, I was there in 98. I was 12. My dad was in charge of handing out the season tickets for his company, so I saw about, you know, gosh, probably 8 or 9 of Maguire's home runs. I was there in 2011 for game one of the World Series. I mean, it's you know, it's fitting it's that when Maguire was
1: it's fitting when Maguire was playing, you would have been uh, drinking juice boxes um I during the games yeah. all right would you like for me that would be jake or for kevin to lead you off with question number one. Oh, jake all right here we go wow this is this is very fitting based on what we just talked about three of the four teams played in sunday's conference championships games three of the four i should say were in the final four last season name the team that reached the conference championship game last season that did not make it this year Wait, okay. Of the four conference champions from a year ago, one of them was not back in the conference championship this year. Oh, the. You broke up there. What was that? The Rams. Okay. All right, number two,
2: Martin. The Cowboys losing to the 49ers last night. Dallas head coach Mike McCarthy is now 0-4 against San Francisco in the playoffs. The four losses against the Niners put him in a tie for the most losses by head coach versus a single team in NFL playoff history. Name the Hall of Fame coach who also had four losses against one team in the postseason. A, Tom Landry, B, Chuck Knoll, C, Tony Dungy, or D, Bud Grant?
8: Tony Dungy.
1: What I would have All right, question number three. Last night's record-tying ninth playoff meeting between the Cowboys and the Niners took place at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara. Where was the first Cowboys-49ers playoff game played? Was it Texas Stadium, Candlestick Park, Kizar Stadium, or the Cotton Bowl? Cotton Bowl. Okay. All right,
2: number four. Martin, the 49ers advanced to the NFC title game for the 18th time in franchise history, extending their record. Name the team second on that list for the most conference championship game appearances in league history. Patriots, Cowboys, Raiders, or
1: Steelers? Steelers. All right, last question. Top-ranked Houston lost at home to Temple yesterday. The Cougars were a 19-point favorite over Temple. Name the last team to upset the number one men's basketball team while being an underdog of more... The 19 points, and I will tell you they won at Duke as a 27 and a half point underdog in November of 2019.
2: You say underwood or underdog? That,
1: nice. Was it Chaminade, Eastern Illinois, Stephen F. Austin, or Maryland, Baltimore County?
8: Oh God, so under so where did where was Brad Underwood before Illinois? He was either at Shamanade,
1: Eastern Illinois, Stephen F. Austin, or Maryland, Baltimore County.
2: Martin, this team should have beat Notre Dame in the second round of the tournament eh, six or seven years ago. Notre Dame had a tip into the buzzer by Rex Fluger to win the game.
8: Stephen F.
2: Austin. How do you know that?
8: Were you watching oh, okay. Notre Dame basketball? <laughs> no, no, no. You're the only person that cares about oh, it. to
2: I, I was hoping you would <laughs> say yes, and then you could come over. Uh, Notre Dame at NC State tomorrow
8: night, if you want to hang out. Well, the only thing about Chaminade, Chaminade put put ESPN on the map because when they would they would still phone in the scores and like it was the first or second ever Maui Invitational and Chaminade won a game back when they were still they were the host team and they beat somebody they beat
1: Virginia Ralph Sampson's Virginia team who was ranked number one
8: yeah, yeah, so I know it's
1: not Chaminade.
2: Aren't they like the Silver Swords or something like that? Eastern Illinois is just Tony
8: Romo, and who is the other team, you said? Uh, uh,
1: Garoppolo's uh, Eastern Illinois, too, now. Don't sell it short.
2: The the, uh, the Golden Retrievers, or whatever their nickname is, who beat Virginia, UMBC.
1: Yeah, so oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Two okay. Virginia victors and
2: all right let's see how martin did in the longest pop quiz in the history of the show the one team that reached the conference championship game
1: last season but is not back there this year jake uh just like they're not back in st louis the los angeles rams is correct.
2: the hall of fame coach who also had four losses against one team in the postseason mike mccarthy is one martin said tony dungy for the other
1: think classy looking hats and an offensive line that all stands up on the two count tom landry was correct. Keysar Stadium was correct for question number three. The Steelers was right, and Stephen F. Austin. Thank was you, Martin. Correct. Martin's a cool dude. Um, speaking of the Steelers, had a rug I, at the Chug. I am a little curious that
2: uh, one Steelers assistant we have not seen. I believe Arizona's the only team that's interviewing him. Uh, that would be Brian Flores. You surprised we haven't seen that name more?
5: I, I am. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you.
1: Surprise. Did he hurt himself by... he? It shouldn't factor in because I think he was right in the manner in which he left in the lawsuit, but maybe that hurts him. I don't know. It's
2: kind of a shame if that's the case. All right, uh, one final time, Kevin and Corey. So last night, Mark uh, threw out a tweet on Kevin Aquari. By the way, give us a follow over there. Shameless plug. Um, He goes, there's no Colts game to get a post-game headlines. But let's try something a little different. In Five words or less. Describe thoughts on the head coaching search so far. So go over a few of those tomorrow. Again, I'm not expecting a whole lot today outside of potentially D'Amico Ryan's and I think probably the next thing to look out for would be, do we see some trimming on the Colts head coaching search? I, I know it's been a popular thing today, Jake, about like why is all this information out there? I just think so much of it is social media agent-driven. And as someone that used to be inside that building, and the fact that you couldn't like publicly state anything that was going on with the Colts head coaching search when – the Tom Palaceros of the world were reporting everything, that would be very frustrating. So I'm glad that the Colts publicly say that they have these interviews because, or else it's just Adam Schefter saying it. Schefter's like, hey, the Colts just got done interviewing D'Amico Ryans. Why not just the Colts come out and yeah, say it? Yeah, that's fair. It's going to be reported by the agent in two minutes anyways. Because the agent wants that info out there because they want their client propped up.
1: It just seems to me like any more... like it's fascinating to me it's like you just interview everybody like does anybody i mean do people apply for these jobs anymore or do they just call and go hey we want i mean i get it like it's such an exclusive position and unique opportunity that they just call you and say like hey we're interviewing you okay
2: yeah i don't think chris Boward's reading many cover letters for the old right colt coaching job
1: now george o'leary is thankful for that mm-hmm. right
2: boy not a great error for old George. <laughs>
1: what was it that George O'Leary had falsified on his resume?
2: I believe a degree from another university. Was he not a graduate? I don't think so. That was a wild hire.
7: You he was you think from. think about it?
1: He was where? At South Florida? When uh, Georgia him? Tech's what oh, that's right. That's popping right. into my head. And then he went to either South or, or Central Florida.
2: And then did they get Willingham after? Or were they firing Willingham? Was it Weiss after?
1: No, I think it was O'Leary to Willingham, right? Boy, that's. Weiss is the one that. Did you like Weiss at first?
2: Sure. I mean, yeah, they had a hell of a year. I mean, the Bush push doesn't happen. They probably build a statue for Weiss outside the.
1: Schematic advantage, right? That was the old phrase. Schematic advantage. And lasted, that was short-lived. That, now, I will, when Charlie Weiss was the head coach at Notre Dame, I have to admit, the hardest I've ever laughed at one of the game day signs, you know when pe- kids have the big signs, was Notre Dame was playing somewhere, I can't remember where, and a kid for the, had a sign behind the stage at game day that just said, Charlie ate the chocolate factory. I thought that was one of the better ones I've ever seen. It was pretty solid. Seems like a low blow. Hey, uh, I, I would agree. It's college, though.
2: Uh, right? Again, we're down to four in the NFL. As you mentioned during the pop quiz, three of the four remaining. Uh, we're in this. We're we're playing the final weekend last year. Uh, if you're looking for Colts head coaching interest on these final four teams, you'll find them. Each team has a coordinator that the Colts have interviewed or are trying to interview. In D'Amico Ryan's case, Ryan is is the only defensive uh, coordinator. Shane Steichen, the OC for Philly. Brian Callahan, the O.C. for the Bengals. And Eric Bieniemy, the O.C. for the Chiefs. So still have some Colts interest, which is another reason why I think this process will take a little bit while to play out. Because obviously, if you like some of those candidates, two of them are going to be in the Super Bowl. That's going to linger a little bit longer. That's
1: the thing that's, the thing that's going to make it linger more, right?
2: And of course, the McDaniels. I think honestly, some of it too, Jake, is PTSD from Ballard. <laughs> about what happened with Josh McDaniels. I do think that's some of it.
1: That's fair. So Philly is the interloper among those who are returning from conference titles a year ago, but they are the second most recent Super Bowl winner of the four, right?
2: It makes sense, right? Kansas City would be the most. That's right. And Patrick Mahomes' high ankle sprain watch will be something to keep an eye on
8: all week long. We'll have you covered noon to 3, 3 to 6. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Kevin and Corey.